Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. How could you not understand where you are, not just in the standings, but where you are as an organization right now, Jamie? How could you not understand that you got to this point by the missteps that you took in previous years? They've had enough missteps along the way with their pitching staff that the bottom fell out. This is not a one-off. And if they don't sell at the deadline... I think, in my opinion, but in my opinion, if they don't sell at the deadline, it will be a grave mistake that will have repercussions for years to follow. Our boy Anthony Stalter on the fast lane yesterday, he was dealing heat with what he heard Katie Wu tell us yesterday on BKN Ferrario. Welcome in, everyone. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Anytime Stultz gets fired up, I'm all for it, especially when he gets fired up about the Cardinals, T-Bone. I got to say, I was driving when I heard him say that, <laughs> and I can tell you, I was going, preach, stops. That's what I'm saying. I was honking the horn on the highway yeah. so everyone could hear me. Like, yeah, hell yeah. People probably thought I was listening to a banger. No, I was listening to Stoltz, man. He was preaching T-Bone yesterday. T-Bone was rocking out to some Frank Sinatra. No, what Stoltz was getting fired up about is what our Cardinals insider for the athletic, Katie Wu, told us yesterday on BKN Ferrario. I do not think the Cardinals have fully convinced themselves that they should be sellers because of the division. And to me, that's a mistake. We know the Cardinals need pitching help, both from a rotation standpoint and from a bullpen standpoint. The Cardinals could utilize some of those pieces to get that pitching help or at least get a jump start on it. But because of the division and because it's not very competitive, even though the record does not suggest this should be feasible at all, I can still see the Cardinals trying to avoid a full sell at the trade deadline. So basically what Stoltz said on Friday is what I was thinking when Katie Wu said that yesterday. Or Stoltz said yesterday, I was thinking yesterday. There's no way that that is possible. And if it is possible that they are convincing themselves that they're not going to be sellers, that there still is a slight chance for this team to be at the top of the NL Central, it is going to be an abysmal mistake, not just for this season, but for years to come with this Cardinals team. And frankly, that's the jumping off point, T-Bone. What Stoltz was saying is what I believe. This isn't just a one-off season for the Cardinals where everybody's having a bad year and you're thinking, oh, well, these things happen and just reset the table and you go back to it. To me, although they have been a good regular season team in the past couple of years, 
let's go down the list since 2019 when they made it to the NLCS and was wiped away by the Washington Nationals. You had that shortened season, the 2020 season that did not go well for them. Then you talked about two years ago when they got into the wild card and lost to the Dodgers. And that was that 17-game win streak that you had to have to make the playoffs at the end of the season. And then last season, where you had your ups and downs, but then you figured it out, that second half, you really honed in, acquired Jordan Montgomery, make the playoffs, and you ish the bet again with your offense, and you lose in two games to the Philadelphia Phillies. So this season felt like you were just building up to it season after season after season, and then it all imploded. And unless you find a way to get this back on the right track, i.e. the trade deadline and start acquiring assets for the pieces that aren't going to be here and jumpstart your offseason, you're going to be doing this again and again and again and again because you can't just run it back with the same roster. I I kind of push back on that a little bit. I, I do think this is a one-off, but with that being said, the deadline and this offseason are pivotal to make sure it is a one-off. And, and that's to your point of they need to make sure they sell some of their top assets going into this deadline so they can kind of... I don't know if I want to call it a retool just yet, but that but this way they can kind of do what the Blues and try and retool this thing on the fly for next year. Gain assets, whether it is some major league ready pieces for next season, pieces that you think are close, or pieces that you can use to potentially help bolster the roster by trades in the offseason as well. I think this season is a one-off, and I think it can be a one-off if you do things right at the deadline and in the offseason. But where I do agree is if the Cardinals decide to hold on to some of their pieces, maybe not all of them, but some of them. And then you go in and you just kind of do a mediocre off season and don't, don't fully invest in the pitching staff and kind of just halfway go about things. Then yes, this is not going to be a one-off. That's why this trade deadline is so pivotal for the St. Louis Cardinals is it's a chance to really right the wrong, gain some assets and then really go full throttle again. Once you, whether it be at the deadline, go full throttle and do some buying and selling, or once you get to the offseason, go full throttle and try and compete in 2024. Because I don't think that the NL Central is going to be super competitive next year. When I say that, what I mean is I don't think there's a 101 team probably going into next year because I don't expect the Reds to be doing so much in the offseason to where they become that. So I do view this as kind of a one-off, but I do agree that if they mess up this deadline or they mess up the offseason, it won't be a one-off and you start to really get into a two- three-year retool, maybe even longer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at what they've done over the last couple of seasons, we, we've talked about this before. It's the, it's the shotgun offseason where you make one move that you feel like addresses the biggest area of need, and then the rest you say, well, we'll fix it internally. You did that in 2020's offseason. You did it in 21's offseason. You did it in 22's offseason where you just said, well, we got this one fix, and we think that will take care of it, and then we're good to go. Everything else will take care of itself. And it hasn't because the area that you thought was going to take care of itself, whether it was the secondary offense, whether it was your overall outfield, whether it was your starting pitching, it didn't take care of itself. It actually became a bigger hole, but then you got to the trade deadline and you weren't willing to part with the assets that you had. And so you just went out there and found the blockbuster rentals that you could bring in and say, oh, well, this guy will help us. The John Lester's, the Jay Haps and figure you just patch that wound and it's good to go. Yeah, if you go into 
the offseason, you just hope to potentially do what you just said, kind of pop gun offseason. It's going to feel like just a water gun offseason because it's not going to patch a whole lot. And it's just going to be like a little squirt and it's going to go, oh, that's all this this is. I They can't just try and fix this with one move. It's going to take multiple moves. It's going to take an aggressive John Mozeliak, really a position he's never been in. And I don't mean lack of trying to be aggressive. I, I mean more in the fact of he's got so many holes to try and patch that it's going to be really tough. Not, it's not impossible. I do think you can fix most of this. I, I think you can retool a bullpen in an offseason. So, I think there's enough quality starting pitching on the market to try and go and fix the rotation. So I think it's a tough task. It's not an impossible impossible task for John Mozalek in the offseason. But that's why this can't be the same offseason, and it can't be the same trade, de- trade deadline. And that's why you can't use this as, well, it was just a one-off for us, and we stay par for the courts the way that we've always done We'll figure it out. I was reading uh, Ben Hockman's article this morning on the Post-Dispatch talking about how the season should be labeled abysmal, and it's compared to kind of what they were in the 70s where you had a really bad season up until that break, and then it just got worse from there, and you finished, what was it, 20, 30 games below 500. And you don't continue that same trajectory. And here's the issue where when Katie makes the comment that she says of, I'm not sure the Cardinals have sold it to themselves that they're sellers Yet, it's because, and it has to be, this is just me assuming things, it's because they believe they're a second-half team. And this is what a lot of people have said about the Cardinals. Well, look at what they've done in in the second half, whether it was, you know, 17 wins in a row or whether it was back in 2011 where you were 11 and a half out in September and you found a way to make it work. Anything is possible. Not in this Cardinals scenario. Not right now. And I heard Randy Carricker talking about this earlier today on the opening drive. I believe in large part because of coming back from 10 and a half down in 2011, still believe that that's something that can happen, even though that is the rarest of instances. Because they did it, I sense that there's still a belief that they can. One of the things we have to keep in mind, though, about what happened in 2011 is that the Cardinals traded Colby Rasmus and they got they rebuilt their bullpen basically at the trade deadline. It was a completely different group in the last... 65 games of the season than it was in the first 97 games of the season. I don't see that happening with this. I If Mo can find a way again to rebuild the bullpen and find somebody akin to Chris Carpenter to pitch down the stretch as a starting pitcher, then they would have a chance. I'm doubting that there's a Chris Carpenter walking through that door. But it's not even Chris Carpenter. It's the other pieces in that rotation. Yeah, Chris Carpenter would absolutely help. But what about the other guys that you're still asking to help? And then what about the bullpen right now? What they did in 2011, sure, anything's possible. But you got to have the right roster for it. And then if you get the naysayers that say, well, what about 2021 and a 17-game win streak? Yeah. Go back and look at that 2021 season. They had multiple winning streaks of six games in a row, which the Cardinals have not done this season. The most they've done is four. Close. And you're two off, Tanner. Yeah. You're right. Two more, and I'd say I'm I all like in on this. I to round up in life. It's you know? smart. Optimistic. You try and live longer. But what they also did in 2021 was when they would lose a game or lose two in a row, they'd pop it back to a couple of games winning in a row, or they would they would never find themselves in a hole of 500 or less. They always would build it back up throughout the season. 
other than that one bad month, which was the month of June, if I'm not mistaken, where it was it was worse than what we've seen this season. Yeah, that. Oh, but they uh. they dug themselves out of that was one month. Now we're two and a half, three months in, and it's been the same thing. So no, I don't buy into this sentiment of we're a second half team and we could come back because you don't have the right roster in place when it comes to your pitching, and frankly, you have not shown it at all this season that that is possible. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I, I can't. Th- and also, too, with 2021, the team wasn't, what are they, 14 games below 500 right now? I don't think they ever got to that point. So they they can't retool this team at the deadline enough like they did in 2011 to make themselves competitive. Because I agree, they don't have a Chris Carpenter walking through that door. The pitching's not good enough just in general in that rotation. And then also, too, here in this season, I they they are not built for a winning streak. And to your point, you said they, they've won four games in a row, and that's the most they've gotten to this year. They remind me of the Blues somewhat in terms of, remember with the Blues, it was always, you could see a little bit of that uptick, and then it was just the Valleys were too low for the St. Louis Blues. And the Cardinals haven't really had like a massive, long, like 10-game losing streak, but their Valleys are like losing like seven of the last 10, or then losing eight of the last 11, nine of the last 14. Like that's been their version of the Blues Valley this season, so they're, they're not built to be a second-half team, and that's why they're going to have to just come to the conclusion, and I think they're going to ultimately come to the conclusion. I think, if anything, hearing anything that may come from the front office saying, well, you know, we could be buyers at the deadline, it's essentially, we basically got to win out the moment that the second half starts, and that's just not going to happen. So they're going to have to come to the conclusion that they are sellers because this team is not built for a second-half run. Yeah, and the other part of it, too, is maybe you're saying out loud that you're not sellers so that you're not basically sell on the farm of two teams of what you're going to accomplish at the trade deadline. But regardless, we all know what's going to take place on August 1st. It's just a matter of will the Cardinals get there. So we both agree that you can see scenarios where it's not a one-off, but do you agree? So head over to our poll on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL BKN Ferrario and vote if you believe that this season is a one-off for the Cardinals or do you think that this was building up to what they've done so far this season in the past couple of years? So head over to our YouTube YouTube channel and vote on the poll and send us mic drops via the 101 ESPN app. We're going to take your mic drops on if you believe that this is a one-off season for the Cardinals. We'll get to those in the 12 o'clock hour, so send us your mic drops via the 101 ESPN app. So regardless if they buy or sell, the second half for this Cardinals team is going to need to be... a about opportunities and the word opportunity came up yesterday because some former Cardinals prospects said they never got their chance with St. Louis. Do the Cardinals have players in place now that are in that same category? We'll discuss next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So once the Blues, the Blues, once the Cardinals exit this all-star break and they start this unofficial second half of the season headed into the trade deadline, the question will be there all the way up until August 1st. Will they be buyers or sellers? 
We can believe whatever we want, which, by the way, we want to see your poll votes on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Do you believe that this is a one-off season for the Cardinals? We also want your mic drops on our 101 ESPN app where you just go there, you look for the mic drop feature, and then send your mic drops to us, and we'll get to those in the 12 o'clock hour if you believe that this is a one-off for the Cardinals. Let's go down the hypothetical path that we all believe, and they should be sellers. Once that takes place, the rest of this season should be about opportunity. And the reason we're talking about that word is because if you missed it yesterday, uh, there were a lot of former Cardinals on display at the Home Run Derby. I saw. Whether it was Adolis Garcia or Randy Rosarena, that graphic that ESPN put up of both of them in Cardinals uniforms, ooh, that one hit real well for us. And then, of course, you've got Zach Gallon, who will be starting in the All-Star Game. So these were some quotes from those former Cardinals about the opportunities that they had in St. Louis. From a Rosarena, quote, I appreciate the opportunity Tampa Bay gave me to play every day as translated by the team official. I feel like Tampa made a good trade. They're giving me a lot of opportunity to show what I could do on the field, and I'm grateful for that. Adolis Garcia, when I left St. Louis, I really believed in myself and how much work I was going to put in, and I'm grateful I had an opportunity. Zach Gallen, there's some truth to sometimes you've got to go to a place where there's an opportunity for you to be able to play and develop. And when you look at it, you know where they're coming from. Randy Arena played 19 games for the Cardinals and had 20 at-bats. Adolis Garcia, 21 games, 17 at-bats. And then, of course, Zach Gallen never pitched for the Cardinals but was in the Cardinals minor league system. If opportunity has been what has plagued this Cardinals team from trading the wrong pieces via trades in the past to bring in assets that can help them now then that better not be your problem with the next trade that you pull off. And if you look at this roster that the Cardinals have currently and what we're talking about in terms of, you know, do they trade a Brendan Donovan or a Lars Newtbar or a Dylan Carlson or maybe a Tyler O'Neill? I feel like I could say I know what these guys are and they got every opportunity to thrive here in St. Louis. And if they get traded and go somewhere else and become all-stars, then you know what? It just wasn't going to work in St. Louis. But for the rest of this season... If it's going to be a wash and you're just going to try and reset the table for 2024, then guys like Yvonne Herrera, guys like Dylan Carlson, if they're still on the roster, Lars Newbar, if they're still on the roster, Alec Burleson, Juan Yepes, they better be getting every single opportunity to play so that when the offseason comes around, if you decide to trade those pieces, you can't sit there and say, well, they just didn't get the right opportunity to show themselves in St. Louis. Yeah, and I'll even go a step further and say it can even be guys, and I, I know it's been bad for him of late, and he's got sent back down to the minors right before the All-Star break. It can be guys in the minor leagues, too, that can come up and get opportunities when you trade from the rotation. Matthew Libertor, again, I think he's had a decent kind of runway in terms of an opportunity, but give him more starts and just tell him, hey, there's no pressure because you're going to be up here for two months. Show us that you belong in the big leagues. Same can be said for a... Zach Thompson, if he gets stretched out enough and the Cardinals want to see him. Same can be said for a potentially a Michael McGreevy if they want to give him a taste of the big leagues or a Gordon Graceffo. And I also think that can be said for Mason Wynn. And Wynn is the guy that I would say, and it's not so much about getting an opportunity to decide what you have in the player, but give him an opportunity where there's no pressure to win in the second half. And, and I think that's always the biggest thing. And I think it's the issue the Cardinals have really run into of it is tough to balance 
developing players while also trying to win. And and we've seen that. You see Libertor, who's gone up and down the Memphis shuttle, going back and forth. You saw that with uh, some of their position players in the outfield at times over the years. You kind of even saw that with Jordan Walker a little bit early in the year where they said, you know, we've got five outfielders right now. You're the guy that's got options, and we can point to at least one thing that we want you to work on. So you're go- going down to AAA. So I-, I think the second half is about opportunities and also not only just opportunities, but allow- allowing a chance for some of the guys that even though one year is not going to affect how you view like a Mason win, for example, it gives you an opportunity to look at them and give them a taste of the big leagues and say, here, okay, here's what it is with no pressure. Let's see how you do it. Let's see how you respond to it. Wynn comes up here, plays really well. All right, we can plan on him being a part of the picture for 2024. And same for Michael McGreevy. Michael McGreevy, can he get called up to the big league club and, and can you have him starting, see what he looks like, and go, okay, pitch really well. Maybe he can be a part of the 2024. And if he struggles, okay, well, now he knows what he has to work on and he can go back to Memphis next year and work on that stuff and work on that stuff in the offseason. It's all about opportunities for guys that are on the club right now and also guys that are down in the minor leagues in the second yeah, half. There's two groups that you just need to evaluate if you're the Cardinals front office between now and the end of the season. You've got the group that you know is going to be a part of 2024, and those are the ones that I'm talking about, like Jordan Walker. You're talking about Arenado and Goldschmidt and Nolan Gorman and Wilson Contreras. That group needs to continue to be out there all the time so that they can continue to work and, and get the reps in. But then you got the next group, and it's the players that you mentioned, T-Bone. The guys that are on the cusp of being major league players, but you don't want to rush them. Guess what? If this is a lost season... I don't want to use the word rush them, but it's time to let them get a taste of Major League Baseball. That's the Mason Wins. That's the McGreevies. That's the Zach Thompsons. That's the Matthew Liebertors. And if it looks really bad, that's all right. We're going to have to develop. This is the development process for the Cardinals. It's what other teams go through when you have to put guys out there and it just doesn't go well. And sure, there's some situations that you're riding the train to Memphis and you're going up and down. But for the rest of this season, if it's lost... I want to know what that select group is. I want to know if Zach Thompson is truly a bullpen pitcher or a starting pitcher. Is Matthew Libertor only at best a bullpen pitcher for us? Or can he be in the rotation? Mason Wynn, are you ready for the big leagues? Because if you're not, well, then we need to know. Because we got to figure out what we're doing at the shortstop position. Guess what? Can Alec Burleson and Juan Yepes, can they be corner outfielders for us? Or are they strictly DH? By the end of 2023, what the rest of this season should be for you, really, it's what the Blues did. The Blues, when they moved on from O'Reilly and Barbashev and Tarasenko and Mikola, they put other guys in spots to see what they were. They gave the Tyler Tuckers a little bit more of a stretch. Torepchenko was playing top nine minutes. They brought in Sammy Blay to play top nine minutes. Figure out what that group is so that in 2024, you don't have any questions of, oh, man, I don't want to trade this guy because what if he becomes Randy or Rosarena? If he does and they gave him every opportunity possible, then so be it. He wasn't going to become that here in St. Louis. And I think to a certain extent, the Cardinals have done a decent job over the last couple of years of giving opportunity to guys. My my thing, though, is that they've gone a little too long with some of the guys like Carlson, for example. I, I think you know what Dylan Carlson is at this point. He, he's the guy, Tyler O'Neill, another one that's coming back from the IL after the All-Star break. So I think they've done a decent job of giving opportunities, and I want to see him kind of reset that crop, if that makes sense, in terms of, okay, Carlson had his leeway. Maybe you move him at the deadline. Let's find out what we've got in Alec Burleson. They really love his bat profile. They've even said that. Is he starting caliber outfielder or bat for you? Or is he a guy that's more of just kind of that 
fourth bat or first bat off the bench and a fourth outfielder for this team. Where is Mason Wynn's development at? And, and look, there is a fine balance too. And I, and I mentioned this: there's a fine balance between developing and trying to win. There's also a fine balance in rushing a player while also focusing on his development. And that's the thing that they're going to have to weigh. And that's why I'm fascinated to know what they do with like a Michael McGreevy, who's started the year at Double A. Numbers look pretty good in Triple A, and what will they decide? Will they say, can he skip up to the major league level, or do we want him to continue to season down in AAA? All these decisions that they're going to have to make in the second half are going to be fascinating, but I, I think it is a good thing that they're going to be able to say, you know what, we're at least able to hand some opportunities to players in the second half so we don't end up doing, again, what we did with Randy Rosarena and Adoles Garcia, where we just didn't give these guys a chance to potentially prove themselves at the big league level. Well, and it really comes down to if those prospects are ready for that opportunity. And we're going to talk with somebody who knows a lot about those Cardinals prospects. Kyle Reese, we've had him on plenty of times here on BK and Ferrario. He he covers Cardinals prospects and writes for Birds on the Black. Kyle Reese is going to join us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Still getting some questions about BK. Everybody is fine. He and Kara are at home with their new baby boy. He's got some time off this week, rightfully so, to celebrate the uh, birth of their baby boy. He will be back with us on Monday. Uh, So everything's okay with BK. He picked the perfect time of the year to have a baby. I mean, I don't want to tenfold anything but i think he planned i this. think he planned that one too and he, he did just, it like hockey players let, do yeah let's have a moment of honesty real quick all-star week is the toughest week for us no that's nah, true i know Come i mean we're, we do do such a great job that it, it's hard to know sometimes that's true very hard we are very week. entertaining we are this very entertaining very tough on us with all-star week and legitimately nothing going on well bk picked the perfect time but we do got plenty of content and a lot of that is surrounding the future of this cardinal team not just this season but for years to come especially for how rough that first half has gone and at least cardinals fans are holding on to the opportunity that is some stars in their system and to talk about that we welcome in a good friend of bk and ferrario show kyle reese who covers cardinals prospects you see him on twitter at kyle R416. Kyle, it's great to talk with you, my man. Let's start with the Futures game that we saw a couple of days ago uh, with two Cardinals prospects that it seems people are getting excited about. Tink Henson, Victor Scott, your thoughts on those two players' growth so far this season? Uh, you know, they're just they're two electric players with electric-type uh, games. What Victor Scott does, we'll start with him, Victor Scott the second. Uh, I'd like to start with him because he's he's so unique in the organization. You know, uh, his game is built on speed and defense. He's a true center fielder who can really go get the ball. He has a, a, a more than adequate arm for center field. But he is the type of player that runs around the base, is crazy, and controlled, 
which is usually not a combo that you see very often, especially out of a, a minor leaguer or a player one year removed from being drafted. Uh, he, he's from West Virginia, and he's just he's a mature young man who uh, his teammates love him, the coaches love him. He's a baseball rat, and he, his game lacks a little bit of power, but he has a really quick, uh, really quick hands, really quick bats. And, you know, again, the, the headline with him is that speed, 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 uh, steals bases, hardly ever thrown out. You can tell he makes pitchers uncomfortable when he's on the bases. You can tell that pitchers even handle him, minor league pitchers. It might not happen in the majors when he gets to the majors, but minor league pitchers even are careful with him at the plate because they don't want to put him on. Uh, that's how he changes the game. Um, I, there's, there's a chance to be a plus-plus center fielder in there. It's not quite there yet. Um, but there's a chance for that as he continues to develop. He's made uh, so many strides positively from where he was, that, you know, about a year ago as he entered the system. Uh, like see a little bit more power, but he can get to the gaps and he can turn doubles into triples and singles into doubles. Uh, he's he's just a lot of fun to watch. Probably the most fun uh, because of how dynamic he is. The most fun position player that you'll the Cardinals have right now in the system that hasn't made a major league debut. And then you know, Markevi and Tinkens. Probably the, I mean, almost certainly, without a doubt, the best pitching product, the prospect that the Cardinals have. Uh, you know, his, his fastball. We've we've all seen it. He put it all. He put his entire uh, everything that he has on showcase this weekend, and that's him. And what makes him special is in the past when a Cardinals prospect is pitched in the Futures game, they do that for one inning, and that's one inning, and it's the showcase. What Markevian Hens, what Tink Hens can do is that for four or five innings. Now. We haven't seen Markevian. Uh, we haven't seen Tink go further than the fifth, the fifth inning so far in his minor league career. They've been really careful with him uh, because of how much of a prize gem he is for them, uh, for the Cardinals. Uh, but what what he did in that one inning, keeping his velocity up above ninety five, uh, showing great spin and command and control of a curve and a changeup uh, and a slider, uh, breaking pitches are still a little bit of a work in progress, but like. That is him. He just needs a little bit more seasoning. He needs a little bit more time to refine. Uh, you know, you see how stealthy he is. Um, maybe put a little bit more weight on. But he's, he's just so dynamic and so much fun to watch. And the athleticism is what really comes through when he's on the mound. And, again, just another smart kid, baseball rat. He has all of those intangibles that you would want as well. Kyle, how close do you think those two guys are to impacting the Cardinals at the big league level? I think I think for sure we would want them to have at least another full offseason. We need, out of Markevian, out of Tank, and I'm sorry I keep calling him Markevian. I love that name. I can't get enough of it. I know I know his nickname is Tank, but, God, I just love Markevian. It sounds like a, a ruler from the 14th century, uh, <laughs> w- which I really respect somehow for some reason. I don't know. We don't want to get into that. But, um, uh, no, so he, you know, we want to see him get a full offseason, and we need to see Markevian uh, continue to build, continue to build innings, continue to build strength. You know, uh, they've, they've always kept them on a tight innings limit, a tight pitch limit. And eventually, and I imagine we'll see that towards the end of this year, we need to see him get above 100 pitches. Uh, we need to see how his command and his control and his body, uh, how his command and his control are of the, the three, four pitches that he has. But we also need to see how his body responds to that. Um, you know, pitching in the Arizona Fall League last year was, was a great start for him. Uh, we need, I'd, like for me personally, I want to see that continue. I also, you know, he's been plagued by little injuries here and there. He missed a part of the year with a pec strain, I believe it was. Uh, not really talked about all that much, but we need to see him to have continued health. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has a great offseason, puts on a little strength, 
they have him at about 100-something innings. He starts the year at AAA, and we see uh, Tink Hentz this time next year, sometime around there. Like, I think that that is a real possibility. And I guess there's always a chance that the Cardinals decide to start him off low, and he makes an impact in, in spring training that gets them thinking, oh, we can use this as a bullpen arm for one year as we, we get him transitioned to a starting role. Like, he has that potential. He has that talent. Now, Victor Scott's a little different. He, his bat is still a bit of a question. You know, he, he makes enough contact. He beats infield singles. Um, I, I think that there's a certain power element that needs to develop in his game just a little bit. Maybe the use of the opposite field just a little bit more. Like, if he had pull power, I'd be like, I, I probably would say that he's a year away. If he was able to just kind of spray the ball all over the place without the pull power, I would say, you know, he, he's probably a year away, but he needs, he needs to still kind of figure out his identity at the plate. He makes smart swing decisions, which is a great start. And he's really good at fighting off the inside pitch because of how quick his hands are. But there's still some, some strike zone understanding and what he can do within the strike zone that's big for him. And as big as I am on his defense uh, and as quick as he is and as good as he is going in every direction and reading the ball off the bat, there's still just like a little hesitation in there and maybe some quick cutting reads that kind of work against him. But uh, I would say that there, there, will, there will be a point next year when the Cardinals outfield isn't playing as well as we want it to, and he's at AAA, and he's doing well, and he's stealing a ton of bases and playing a good defensive center field where you know maybe uh, this time next year or towards the end of the year next year we're like, all of us are clamoring for just a little taste of what Victor Scott the second can do at the major league. We're talking with Kyle Reese, covers Cardinals prospects and writes for Birds on the Black here on BK and Ferrario. So Kyle, other than than Tink Hens, when it comes to the pitching prospects in the system, you know, a lot of people talk about Gordon Graceffo and McGreevy, and I know Cooper Jerpy's another one that's gotten on the radar for a lot of people, but we heard Jason Isringhausen tell our afternoon show, The Fast Lane, that those guys are still probably a year or two away from being contributors at the major league level is that your same assumption with that yeah absolutely you know uh gordon gordon graceffo who is maybe another one of my, like my favorite prospects in the organization I, I loved him when the cardinals drafted him you know he missed a good chunk of the year with his own injury and whenever a pitcher in particular misses a good chunk of a season before they've even made a major league debut uh, because of an injury i always want to pump the brakes just a little bit harder even if it's not an arm injury uh, if it's a toe injury like I, I just think that there's a certain amount of caution that needs to be uh, exercised with that type of uh, with with any pitcher that's dealing or has dealt with an extended absence because of injury. I do think that there will be a point uh, where Gordon Graceffo is closer to being a major leaguer and maybe more ready to be a major leaguer than than we're giving him credit for. He still has some shaping with his fastball that he needs to work on, and he's been really strong since he came off of the IL for AAA Memphis. Uh, but I, I do think I think Mr. Isringhausen's words are are smart. You know, uh, we see Michael McGreevy with the ERA, but there's still there's still some refinement. I was in Indianapolis uh, last week for his start, and when you watch him, it, there's two things that stick out really. He gets hit pretty frequently, and a lot of the contact is hard. But he he does that high wire act where he keeps it all on the ground. He keeps the vast majority of it on the ground which will get you out, will slow down the ball, uh, but also is not always a guarantee of future success. He's, he's not really striking out anybody. So I, I would say that it's the same thing with him. Like with a really good offseason, like I, I, there, will be, there will be a point there is this year where I start clamoring to see Gordon Graceffo. I, I, I have no doubt about that. He probably isn't ready. 
But, yeah, I think when we enter spring training next year, I think Graceffo and McGreevy in particular will be the talk of spring training. I think we'll we'll start hearing them as options uh, for the starting rotation at some point during next year. But they both have uh, issues that they need to work on before they can be considered major league caliber contributors. And hopefully an off-season of work on those deficiencies gets them there. Kyle, you mentioned with McGreevy, hit frequently in ground balls. And that's kind of the state of the Cardinals' major league rotation. So, And I've been clamoring that they need to modernize the rotation, get more swing and miss. How would you say the state of the pitching development is for the Cardinals? Are they modernizing it by getting more swing and miss? Or is it more kind of the status quo of the big leagues where it is more pitch to contact and let the defense do the work? I, I still think that they're trying to find the, the best way possible to take advantage of what they're given from a scouting standpoint. And I guess that's just a clever way of saying they draft in weird spots every year. You know, they, they draft 21st, they draft 19th, 18th, 20th, 22nd. Like they're always in that group. And it's tough to, it's tough to draft a, a player with high strikeout capability. Now you, they, they're really good at amateur scouting. They're incredible at it. And, the development section of the organization works pretty well hand in hand with the amateur scouting situation to, to, to get everybody kind of on the same page. But it seems to me, uh, maybe this isn't a fair criticism that the development side is, is lacking. You know, when I talk to pitchers in the organization or when I hear pitchers in the organization talk, it always seems like the work that they do to get better is outside of the Cardinals organization. You know, uh, again, You'll hear something about like Mr. Isringhausen teaching um, uh, the cutter grip and how to throw a cutter to Connor Thomas. Like things like that are happening, and those are all good, and those are development, and that's good. But the big strides are happening outside of the organization, and that is a concern. Uh, this this draft, it doesn't necessarily seem like they've they've committed to maybe finding guys with an arsenal that can strike out at a high level. Now, I do think Quinn Matthews has some strikeout ability. I I like him better than Pete Hansen or uh, Bryson Mounts, but uh, I think that I think that they're still struggling to find their their niche there. How to best get that strikeout capabilities from their pitchers uh, as they continue to find ways to best utilize where they're drafting from an amateur standpoint. They have they have done better on the international market to find specifically relievers who can strike out players or strike out hitters. And we're starting to see some of those guys climb the, climb the system. So that's going to be a fascinating watch. Final question for Kyle Reese, covers Cardinals prospects with us here on BK and Ferrario. Kyle, as we approach the August 1st trade deadline, and not a lot of names are going to start popping up in terms of trying to find trades to upgrade this Cardinals team for 2024. When it comes to the players in their system, guys like Mason Wynn and Yvonne Herrera and some of these pitchers we've talked about, in your opinion, who would you want the Cardinals to stay away from trading? You know, for me, it's I just want to know who the return is. Like, I have I have a soft spot in my heart for Mason Wynn. You know, Mason Wynn and Victor Scott II are the two most dynamic players uh, in the organization that haven't made a major league debut. They just play the game with a certain amount of love and flair and excitement that you really can't teach. You know, I know you look at you'll look at Mason Wynn's stat line and. It's somewhat over underwhelming, rather. It's somewhat underwhelming. But he's done some really great things, especially after that first month of the year. Uh, I, I would hate for them to trade him, but it, my thought is the Cardinals need to get better, and they need to get better in the long term. 
I would like to see them just get better. However, however it happens. And for me, I don't, I don't know if I'd have an untouchable, like I would try my hardest to steer away from trading Mason Wynn. And again, probably, probably Gordon Graceffo. If there's, if there's one person right now, because of how valuable he is and what he does and what the Cardinals don't have, you know, Tink Hentz, he's just so hard to kind of move because he's just so valuable. And he is, like the unicorn in the organization from a starting pitching prospect that really has a chance to be a dynamic front end starter. You know, a Cooper Jerpy is still hurt. So I don't really know how that would go, but you know, other than hence and having, uh, being, being kind of weird about trading Mason Wynn, I think as long as you're getting areas to help your team in the long run, to help eliminate some of those questions for more than just, uh, you know, uh, one season for more than just one additional season, the 2024 season. I think you have to seriously consider it moving nearly everyone. Interesting. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one, Kyle, as we approach the August 1st trade deadline. Always appreciate you hopping on with us. For people that want more information on Cardinals prospects, make sure you follow tw- Kyle on Twitter at KyleR416. Appreciate you joining us today, Kyle. Hey, it's my pleasure. Congrats to BK. Awesome. Yep. Congrats to he and his wife, Kara, on the uh, birth of their new baby boy. That uh, That's the biggest takeaway for me from what Kyle just said there when it comes to, uh, and, and he's right, because that's kind of where I'm at on this. I don't know if anybody is considered untouchable on my roster, depending on what the return is. Yeah, I, I think both that, because I, I think he's right. I, I, I don't know if you can put anybody untouchable in the minor leagues right now. Mason Wynn's probably the closest it gets. Walker, would if he was in the minor still, he would be the untouchable for me, but he's not. He's on the big league roster. Yeah. The other, the other big takeaway for me, and I, I was fascinated to hear his answer on this, was their development on the pitching side in the minor leagues because they are a pitch-to-contact staff, and I've been preaching to the moon, just like I was preaching to the moon for – the last two years about how they needed to get more slug baby slug. I'm now on the train of they've got to get swing and miss in the rotation. And him saying the development side is lacking and some of the Cardinals pitchers looking more outside the organization for that. And they are still struggling to find their niche when it comes to developing that swing and miss in the pitchers that they have in the system. That is something the Cardinals have to work on that. That is something that is a thing that could, the snowball effect that we talked about of why the Cardinals have struggled this year. And you mentioned in our is this a one-off or not for the Cardinals you said it feels like it's been snowballing over the years for the Cardinals that is one of those that it could snowball and eventually catch up to them because that's where they really need to start to develop their pitching is in the minor leagues and develop pitchers that got swing and miss yeah because that's what they've been doing they've just been bringing in more and more pitch to contact pitchers and when they get up to the majors they're doing the same thing and now you don't have the shift to work with which Nolan Arenado said yesterday that they felt like they were a very good team using the shift Unfortunately, they don't have it, and it has hurt them a lot this season. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario, Grant Francis as well. We've got questions and answers coming up next, 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to your questions next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. We are also live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on that BK and Ferrario link and you will see our beautiful faces up until 2 o'clock and... You can vote on our live poll that we discussed earlier in the show. Do you believe that this season 
this underperforming, abysmal, god-awful season for the Cardinals is just a one-off. And they'll fix it in the offseason, and they'll be back to normal next year. Vote on our poll. Send us your mic drops via the 101 ESPN app. We're going to get into that in the 12 o'clock hour. But now we get to some of your questions. Let's start with this one. Fellas, why do you think the other non-proven players are the answer for Cardinals? What have the Cardinals shown you that they can develop their own players and not players from the outside? I, I That's think, where I'm skeptical with it. I mean, Jordan Walker has now given me a little bit more confidence. Nolan Gorman has provided me more confidence. But for every guy that I'm confident in, I can think of the Dylan Carlson's. I can think of the Colby Rasmus's. I can think of the Carson Kelly's. Like, for every positive, there's a negative. But, I mean, that's what prospects are. You're not going to hit on all of them. I, I think when you look at the Cardinals, I think they've done a fairly good job in recent years in developing bats. I mean, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker. We'll see what Mason Wynn is. Carlson, to a certain extent, he's been okay. Same with Tyler O'Neill. He had one year where you were like, whoa, look at that. Um the pitching side is where it comes down to. That's why I said one of my biggest takeaways from our recent interview with Kyle Reese in the last segment. And if you missed it, check it on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. He said they've been lacking in their pitching development, and, he, and he's not wrong. And, and they haven't, it sounds like they're not really, they're having a tough time developing swing and miss, too, which is what they really need to do. So, on the position side, I wouldn't have too much concern when they get their hand on a pitcher. Now, that's yeah. a little bit of a different I mean, story for me. look at the pitchers me. that are having success right now. I mean, we could go down the list of guys who are pitching well outside of the Cardinals organization. It's a concern. It, and it's not so much that for me. It's more of ever since then, they haven't really been able to bring up a guy that you look at and go, wow. Like, who is that guy? I, I Like, sure, they developed Gallon in Alcantara. But, I, but they pitched well outside of the yeah, organization. They, they developed in part of it, and we read the quote earlier uh, from Zach Gallen, who said at all-star media availability to, I believe he said this to Derek Gould, there's some truth to sometimes you've got to go to a place where there's an opportunity for you to play and develop. I mean, those guys didn't get that here, and Gallen got it in Arizona and took advantage of it, and Alcantara took advantage of it in Miami. Who's the most recent Cardinal to do that that they've developed? Hicks, maybe Carlos Martinez, Jack Flaherty, but small sample size. I mean, look, Sandy Alcantara is having a bad year. So maybe he had just one incredible season and then struggles from there. I mean, that's again, that's what happens when you're dealing with young players. Sometimes you hit on them. Sometimes you don't hit on them. It's just a rare occurrence. Well, and this is going to sound like a Cardinals PR person, too. But honest, like evaluation is that when you are a successful organization and you're always competing outside of the season, of course, it's hard to give young players opportunities. It kind of, it's happened with the blues. And now finally they've had a season this past season where it was down and they were able to give a lot of players opportunities, but the Cardinals haven't had the ability to do that over the course of the last however many years. And now you do. And that's why the second half is so important for you to do that. Thing to that point too, from Grant is you've also seen them in, in, I don't want to say it's a fear because I don't think they're going to do this with Tinkins because I think they view him as a starter and the guy that they can potentially be the guy that we're talking about that breaks the mold and is, hey, look, we just developed this guy and he's an ace in Tinkins is sometimes they kind of rush guys through the system to fill the need on the major league staff. Yon Oviedo comes to mind during the 2020 pandemic shortened year. You look at what they've done with Zach Thompson in this yo-yo effect of, okay, he's going to become a reliever for us because we need a left-handed reliever in the bullpen. Okay, now we don't need a left-handed reliever. We need a starter for next year, so let's go develop him in the minors. Oh, wait, he just got called back up because we need somebody in our bullpen to cover innings. Like, they, they've got to avoid doing that. And that and that's where it comes to Grant's point of 
that are starting to struggle, or they have struggled in recent years with balancing development and also trying to win the division and go on a playoff. Run. From the 314 Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Guys, the longer Tarasenko goes unsigned, how much of a thought does he give to potentially going back to the KHL, or could he come back to St. Louis? I think neither of those are options. No. He's not going back to Russia. Um, to play I, in the I KHL. would say I think it's more likely he goes back to the KHL than it is that he comes back to St. Louis. Uh, see, I wouldn't. I would. Say, oh, OK. Yes, that's an area. Absolutely. I, there's a zero point zero 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 percent chance he comes back to St. Louis. Um, what Vladdy might do is what a lot of guys had to do. You take a one year deal, cheap deal. And then you reset the market for yourself, especially if you get yourself a new agency. I mean, he was connected to Carolina. I could see Carolina happening. It's just a matter of if money's going to be available. But no, I I don't see him going back to the KHL, and I don't see him coming to St. Louis. It's going to be to go to a contending team. Honestly, would surprise me if he goes to a team like Colorado on a one-year deal. I've seen him also connected to Ottawa. But they're not really a team that's looking to win a Stanley Cup. Like, they're starting to become competitive, yeah. but they're not a Stanley Cup right. contender in if, the next upcoming years. If he's going to go to a team on a one-year deal, it's going to be a team that he thinks he can win a Stanley Cup with and play well so that you could put your numbers up so that when you hit the market again, when you're 32 years old and you have an 80-point season under your belt, he wants you with the cap going up 4 to $5 million. What if he were to try to do that in the KHL? Like sign a one-year deal in the KHL, go off, and then come back to the NHL. I don't know if that stands as substantial to NHL teams as it would yeah, if you do yeah, it at the that's NHL the question. level. Just because the the rink's different and going back to the KHL, you're not competing against guys in the NHL. The skill like, level. The yeah. skill level's different. So I, I don't know if that benefits him. Plus, again, it just doesn't take happen the, often either. That, well, you got to take the personal side of it, too. I mean, he's got three kids. He's got a wife. Like, there's no way you want to go back and play in the KHL for, for a year and then come back. I mean, he's 31 years old. You're going to get a job somewhere. It's just a matter of you might have to do a one-year deal and reset the market for yourself, which, again, a lot of guys are going to be doing, especially restricted free agents, of just doing the one-year bridge thing and then just wait out and see what you could get next year when the cap goes up. And I, I think that's the biggest holdup right now is either he is searching for more term or a higher AAV, one of the two. And that's why he's a free agent. Is yeah, That's why he changed agencies. My assumption is it's the term. I, I think he thought he was going to have a market to get like a three, four-year deal, something along those lines, maybe even longer. And now he's come to the realization of, yeah. I'm going to have to do a one-year deal now. It's just a matter of picking the right spot. Where's my stuff at? Where do I want to go? I want to go to a contender more than likely, I would say and try and reset the market, as you said. Absolutely. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us at 1230. But coming up next, uh, Jordan Bennington. Is he going to be a part of the Blues solution to this season, or is he going to be a part of the issue this upcoming season? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So among the questions coming into the upcoming blue season, goaltending is going to be a part of it, especially with Jordan Bennington's numbers from last season and really the uncertainty of the backup goaltender now with Joel Hofer taking over. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, where we are live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. And you can vote in our poll, which right now it is a dead 50-50 race for if you believe the Cardinals season this year 
is just a one-off. So vote on that poll on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on BK and Ferrario and send us your mic drops on our 101 ESPN app. We'll get to your mic drops on the other side. But Jordan Bennington has to be a part of the questions that you're asking about the upcoming season for the St. Louis Blues. He is. Thank you, Tanner. I figure you would. And look, the hockey wow. writers have an you article. Read my mind. The hockey writers have an article out about that too. This was something that they talked about in their piece for the St. Louis Blues. Quote, without living lingering here too long, the Blues should have major concerns about their goaltending situation. Blues fans would like to overlook Bennington's struggles, blaming the team's goals against woes solely on the defense. But that is not a realistic picture of goaltender Jordan Bennington, who he has been over the last two seasons. Tell me you didn't watch last season without telling me you didn't watch last season. I was just going to say, I hope who wrote this is watching our YouTube channel because I'm going to look right in this camera right here for everybody. You did not watch the Blues season if that's what you believe. Anybody who paid attention to the starts that Jordan Bennington made will look at you and tell you and ask higher ups in hockey ops, ask goaltending coaches, ask former goaltenders. They'll tell you that Jordan Bennington did everything any goaltender could do for a team that was abysmal in front of him. And yeah, his numbers do not look good. Even the high danger save expected percentages that BK loves to make Excel sheets for. Yeah, the advanced analytics didn't look good for Jordan Bennington. But you know what the advanced analytics can't break down? The backdoor tap-ins and the defensive woes that were watching the puck glide by you while somebody stands in front of the net for an easy tap-in. And Jordan Bennington had a lot of success despite the numbers that will back up his product. So among the questions for the upcoming season, of course, goaltending is always going to be there because the one part that they are right about in this article is you can't overlook what Bennington has done prior to last season because he was bad in the shortened season. He was bad that next year where Billy Huso took the job from him. Bennington regained it in the postseason and was back to form. But if you go sample size from that postseason when he took over through last season, Jordan Bennington was the exact same goaltender. The defense in front of him changed. That is the bigger question, if I'm going to look at it, is does the defense improve slightly for Jordan Bennington to be able to make those types of saves? And this is kind of where my question is on the goaltending, because we know Bennington's a playoff performer. My question is, is he a regular season performer? And I think that's crucial for the St. Louis Blues, especially when you turn the reins to the back of a goaltender to a rookie in Joel Hofer. The reason that I don't look into his numbers last year where he had the 894 save percentage and a 3.31 goals against average is because of what you said. I, I did watch the Blues games, and I saw the defense was horrendous in front of him and left him out to dry in most of those games. Now, there were some situations where I looked at it and said, ah, he's probably got to make that save. But more often than not, it was the defense that I saw and said, okay, that's why he's given up so many goals and the save percentage is way down. But with that being said... The reason I still have question marks is because I don't think that was a fair season to try and evaluate what Jordan Bennington is as a regular season goalie. And with that being said, it doesn't answer the same question I have after 21-22 of, is he a regular season goalie and can he bounce back from it? Or is he still the same guy that lost his job to Ville Husso in the regular season? So I think it is fair to have question marks on Jordan Bennington, but I don't think they're kind of red alarm bells going off in my head about, oh my gosh, they need goaltending. No, I think it's a fair question on Benner because I know he's a postseason goalie. But for this team to kind of bounce back and this retool to go the way that Doug Armstrong is planning for it to go, Jordan Bennington has to perform as a regular season goalie, or they're going to have to find somebody that can perform in the regular season to tandem with him. I think if you give me the exact same Jordan Bennington from last year's regular season for this upcoming regular season, I'd be totally fine with that. 
I don't give you give me the exact same goaltender and have a slightly improved defense. He's a top 10 goaltender in the National Hockey League. I agree. Like if you give me Jordan Bennington from last year and just isolate the goaltending, I think there are more questions with the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending who just won the Stanley Cup than the Blues questions and goaltending going into next season. Yeah. Would you rather have Aiden Hill on your team or Jordan Bennington? I'd go Jordan Bennington. Would you rather have both have a cup? So <laughs> would you rather have Kyle? Why can't I even remember the guy's name that won the cup with uh, Colorado? Oh, Kemper. Was it? No, it wasn't Kemper. It was, was Kemper. It? Okay. Would you rather have Darcy Kemper on your team or Jordan Bennington? Well, I definitely didn't think Kemper was a good goalie, so I would definitely I, take the side of Bennington. I, I mean, like you can. Would you rather have? I, I don't know if I'd say he's a top ten goalie, just to be clear. But I, I think he's if like, he's got a better defense in front of him. No, I still think he's like cusp of top ten. Oh I, no, I still say top ten. He's either like right in or like just on the outside looking in. Like I think he belongs in kind of that mid tier of goaltending. But when I say mid tier, don't assume I mean like sixteenth, seventeenth. I think the mid-tier of goaltending, there's like a mass major, a vast majority of NHL goalies. I think there's like one or two, three goalies that are near the top at, as the best in the league, and then there's just kind of that murky middle. I think he fits in that murky middle right so now. So let me let me go through these names right now and tell me who you'd rather have on your team than Jordan Bennington. Okay. Stuart Skinner. Oh, definitely Jordan Bennington. Yeah, I'd go Benner. Ilya Sorokin. 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 Vitek Vanacek. Bennington. Also, try and spell it, Tanner. Yeah, I know there's a V. That's about all I've got. <laughs> okay, you say Saros, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin. We can all agree with that. Ottinger, Connor Hellebuck, Alexander Georgiev. I'd go Bennington. Probably get the edge. But again, it's all that murky middle. I wouldn't say like... But that's but what I'm doing is I'm looking at the top 10 goaltenders with save percentage. But here, but here's the here's the thing that I, I would say to this point, because I know where you're trying to pin me into a corner here to where it's like, oh, oh hey, it's working. how about that? He actually was in the top oh, 10. It's working. By the way, I, cherry I think, picking is fun, guys. I think <laughs> mo- I think mo- if you make a top 10 list, if you send out a, to all NHL writers across the NHL, the top 10, I'm sure like the top part of that list is going to look very similar. I think that mid-portion, like 5 to 20, would look very, very different amongst a lot of riders. And that's my point is maybe he can be a top-10 goalie next year. Maybe he won't be the following season. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at in terms of numbers, but in terms of consistent play for Jordan Bennington. And I think that's where he just falls in the middle of a murky goaltender. And that's why I raise the question of, is he a regular season goalie for the St. Louis Blues? And, and that may not be a bad thing for the Blues because as we've seen – I mean, Vegas had like five goaltenders this yeah. year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with that one, too. It, it may not be a bad thing that he's not a regular season goalie. It's, what it just does is it just says Hofer's got to be a guy that yeah. can pair with him and can take the reins for when he does go through his struggles. Now, where I will agree with you is Jordan Bennington should not be a 60-plus game starter. No. Jordan, if you look at like, so the guys that are, are Hellebuck, are Ottinger, are Vasilevsky, Yusei Saros, Ilya Sorokin. Like, those, in my opinion, are the top five goaltenders in the National Hockey League. Outside of Vasilevsky, what do all of those goaltenders have in common? They all burn out in the playoffs. Oh, I was going to say, oh. they all don't. I don't know. Where are you going with this, Graham? Every one of them burn go, out like, in the, the playoffs. color of their eyes or something. <laughs> but they all have blue eyes. But then when you go on, Linus Olmark, who was the best goaltender among statistics last year, he played 49 games for Boston because they had Jeremy Swayman. When you go down the list, Vitek Vanacek played 52 games for the New Jersey Devils because they had other guys. Stuart Skinner played 50 games. Aiden Hill, who we talked about, played like 25 games for them in the regular season. Bobrovsky as well didn't Bobrovsky play a ton. Bobrovsky as well. Ilya Samsonov with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, he was one of their better goaltenders, but he only played 42 games. Tanner's right. Jordan Bennington should not be, he is not a 
elite number one goaltender that you ride for 70 plus games. But what Jordan Bennington is, is a guy that if you can use him for 50 to 55 games and then throw in your backup for 30 or 35 games, well, then now you're talking about a guy who's healthy, who's got competition, who can take you on a deep playoff run and is rested. That's why this season, if I have a question, it's more on Joel Hofer than Jordan Bennington. Can can Joel Hofer be what Ville Husso and Jake Allen were for the last three or four seasons for the Blues? Because if he's not, and look, Poor Thomas Grice got the short end of the straw for how bad they played in front of him. But if Joel Hofer's only playing 15 games for you, well, then, yeah, we're probably going to be talking about him having to take a step away for a couple of weeks because he looks worn down. But that's the type of goaltender he is. You have to build a 1A, 1B rather than a 1 and 2. I think it's so interesting, like last year's playoffs in particular, to look at all the goaltenders and who ended up having success in the playoffs. Like, you go to Philip Grubauer in Seattle where Martin Jones played so many games during the regular season and he was not good in the playoffs. And then they bring in Philip Grubauer who hasn't played in the playoffs since 2018, I believe, when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. And he was pulled after two games because he was played so much down to stretch. But Philip Grubauer was great in the playoffs for Seattle this season. Same like we said with Bobrovsky, Aiden Hill. Like It's becoming pretty clear that you can't just have one goaltender carry you throughout the entire regular season and the entirety of the playoffs. Vasilevsky did it a couple times, but this past season, he did. He ran out towards the end of the playoffs. So you really, the backup goaltender, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated roles on a hockey team because it can really save your starter from burning out towards the end of the season. Go back through the last four or five Stanley Cup champions and look at the, with the exception of Tampa Bay, because Tampa Bay went on that run. Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott, you are correct, sir. But <laughs> Nailed it. If you will look at Washington, if you look at when Pittsburgh won it, if you look at St. Louis, and then if you look at what Vegas just did, you're going to have to have a tandem if you want to win that Stanley Cup. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we're going to get to some of your mic drops and the voting on our poll on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL if you believe that this season is just a one-off for the Cardinals. We'll get to that and more next here on 101 ESPN. PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So is this season for the Cardinals considered a one-off and they write the ship and go back to uh, normal next season and just say that this was a bad year in a lot of areas or was this the start of a trend that we just didn't see coming. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we want to hear from you on that thought. You could send us your mic drops via the 101 ESPN app. Just hit the app button and find the mic drop feature. Click on it, send in your mic drop, and Grant will get that for us on air. And also go over and vote on our poll on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Uh, just click on the BK and Ferrario link to give your thoughts. What's the poll standing at right now, T-Bone? So right now, and... I was curious. I, I wondered if we'd get a big chunk of people saying no because I would say. Oh, you hit your mic phone. again, T Bone. Stop touching the mic cord. Did I fix it? You okay. fixed it, buddy. I got so excited. We're like just going into this poll. No. I, I'd say. Uh, Grant, clip that for I, me, I'd buddy. say about what did you say? Seventy percent of our text lines probably like, no, this is not a one-off for the Cardinals. Yeah, I would say so. Especially for most of the text that we've seen come in on our Air Comfort Service text line, uh, saying like, no, this is not a one-off. This was expected. Which look, I, I mean. 
not to shoot down our text line, but our text line could be negative every once in a while. So on our poll on our YouTube page, at 101 ESPN STL, it is 51% of people saying, no, this is not a one-off. 49% of people say, yes, it is. So it's really 50-50, which is interesting to see that a lot of people are kind of torn on whether or not the St. Louis Cardinals view, if this is just a one-off season where it is a flip on the radar, we've seen things like this happen for good teams before look at the giants in the early 2010s where they were in the playoffs and won the world series in 10 didn't win in 11 one in 12 14 red sox did this most recently too where they won the world series then missed the playoffs entirely and i think they're one of the worst if not the worst team in baseball i i tend to look at this as a one-off now with the caveat of if john mosaic and the front office don't make the right decisions at the deadline and in the offseason it will snowball into becoming where it is not just a one-off. And that's where I feel like the people that voted yes, it's a one-off, are trusting it. And to me, it's maybe not so much if you believe, it's more of a trust factor. Do you trust that it's going to be a one-off to where you see the problem? Because this is your stance on it, T-Bone. You trust that John Mosaic and company have never gone some through something this bad, where the Cardinals were this awful and you can't do the same thing because you have to fix it. Because if you miss the playoffs by a half of a game or one game, that final game of the season, you could make the argument that, hey, we were right there towards the end. Slightly better season from a couple of players. We're probably talking about the postseason. This year, you can't. So it seems that it's more people trusting the process than it is believing that it's a one-off. And that's where I'm different with it. Because I don't trust that it's going to be fixed in an offseason. And one of our texters from the 618 said, an, oh, no, wrong one, this one. From the 314, sorry, 618, but I like this one better. From the 314, Cardinal season should be a one-off because no one in their... I read the wrong one again, T-Bone. Man, what is wrong with you? Uh, I took Benadryl yesterday because my allergies were acting up. You know, when I sneezed five times on the air, that's probably part of it. Uh, here it is. The Cardinals season is looked at as a one-off unless they fix all of the what-ifs. That is the glaring hole that they've had for the past three seasons. And if you listen to any of our shows going into spring training, where we're talking and optimistic about a Cardinal season and excited for it, Listen to the the conversations that we have. If the starting pitching actually just clicks, man, this team's going to be tough to play against. If this outfield configuration goes back to what it was, man, it's going to be a really good outfield. The Cardinals seem to always operate with the what-if scenario, whereas if I look at the teams that are consistent, the what-ifs aren't there. You're always wondering, can certain things click? But you trust the process in terms of, I know that the pitching is going to be at least usable this season, and if it gets better from there, then great. I know that my outfield is going to be good because I've got these two pieces and the what-if is only one guy, but they'll cover that hole. The Cardinals don't seem to mask the what-ifs very well. And if you don't do that this offseason, that's why I just view it and say, look, they never do that. They'll always find the one area where this offseason it's probably going to be starting pitching. But then you just say our internal options will fix our bullpen or our internal options will handle our outfield. And now we're playing that game once again. And this is why I am so kind of I don't know if opportunistic is the word I would use or why I believe they're going to make the changes and correct changes in the offseason. The reason I believe it is because it's one thing to make the playoffs and lose and then go into the offseason and go. Yeah, some of these what-ifs, they panned out, some didn't, but we are able to fix them at the deadline, and we can go out and we can make one improvement to try and make ourselves better. 
that makes sense. If you miss the playoffs and you're above 500 and you don't miss by a lot, what can you do? You go out there, maybe you're just one change away. I can understand that. But they're not in that situation. They're in a situation where the pitching has just collapsed in on them, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. Their defense has not lived up to expectations this this year. Some of the young guys just have not developed the way they were expecting. So I, I think they look at it, and I think it's a wake-up. I think it's more of a wake-up call is what it is for the front office because, sure, maybe they can survive one down year because of their track record. I don't know if you're going to get a second down year in terms of if you have a repeat of this season – then I don't think you're going to be able to make it into, I don't think you're going to get a third chance. I, I think the DeWitts would be willing to make a change if that were to be the case. And the also the other point for me in this too is, I think building to get back to the playoffs, is it going to be a difficult task? Yes, but you should be rooting for them to build that way, and I think they can build that in an offseason. World Series contention, that may take another two, three years to build into because everything just kind of, hit the fan on them, and, and now they're having to take a couple steps back to try and take a couple steps forward. But I think that's why I'm so opportunistic in it is I, I just think they can't go they can't go into the offseason and go, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. Because you can look at it and go, um, correction, yeah. it wasn't just bad, it was awful. Yeah, well, and you also, you, you also don't want it to be, well, we just had a bad year for our starting pitching. That gets fixed. We'll figure it out because there are five or more areas that I could look at and say, well, you had a bad area in that. Let's head to our mic drops. FedEx Brian sent us a mic drop. Hey, guys. FedEx Brian here. Just See? wanted to call and say, I don't think that this is a one-off. I think that this is going to happen for a couple of years. I 100% agree with what Stalter said yesterday. This has been going on pitching-wise for you can basically make the argument since Chris Carpenter left. We have not had a bona fide ace. You have had nothing but starters that are throwaways from other teams. So you need to completely revamp the whole pitching thought process when it comes to this team. Speed bump. Be careful out there, FedEx, Brian. We talked about that earlier after Kyle Reese mentioned that they've just had the same mindset in terms of the development of the pitchers, and you really haven't seen somebody take over. And yeah, it has been the same with your starting pitching for a really long time with you going out there and getting the pitch to contact guys. And, you know, Adam Wainwright has been at the top of that rotation every single season, and then you just add in the pieces that can help. And that's what the benefit of the Cardinals have had. When it was Chris Carpenter and then Adam Wainwright, you had that bona fide ace, and you just built underneath. But since really Adam Wainwright's injury, you really never considered him to be an ace anymore. He was just a top-end starter for you, and you've been searching for the aces. It was Carlos Martinez, and it was Jack Flaherty. For a little bit there, you thought it was Michael Waka. Then you thought Lance Lynn could potentially be it, and it never really worked out for you. But I can also say you've been doing this for some years now of trying to figure out your outfield configuration. I can also say this, that you've been doing this for some years now, trying to figure out who your cleanup hitter is going to be. And you fixed those areas. You went out there and you got Goldschmidt and Arenado to fix that area. You went out there and got Tyler O'Neill and built him through your system and thought he was the answer. But then the other pieces fall. And that's why this offseason, it can just be a one-off if you're willing to address all of the what-ifs and be willing to spend the amount of money and required assets in your system to fix those what-ifs. Because if you only fix one, 
then we're doing the same thing again. I, I will say this. I, I Again, this can be a one-off with the right offseason and the right trade deadline. They mess this up. They, they do what you're saying, and they only fix one what-if on this team. Then, yeah, this is going to snowball, and this is going to become more of a retool than anything else. But they don't have to fix, and I know how this is going to sound, because I, I do think this is the right way it, to T-Bone. operate. You don't have to fix every what-if, but you do have to add a lot more certainty to the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were way too many what-ifs coming into this yeah, year. It was bullpen. It was starting pitching. You were wondering about the outfield, and frankly, we were still questioning the catcher position. Yeah, well, I I don't know if it's fair to put the catcher one in there. We are now, I well, will say. but I, Not in the terms of who was going to be the catcher, but we were questioning the defense, the defense and That's handling fair. of the pitching That's staff. That's fair. Um, but I, I think you have to answer a big chunk of those what-ifs. It's okay to have, like, one what-if, maybe two going into a year of, like, okay, what if we have Matthew Libertor as our number 5 starter? And then you're willing to make that change at the All-Star break if it doesn't work. That's kind of how they've operated. Problem was, is this year they went into too many what-ifs and too many, hey, this guy's going to rebound, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson. And it just hasn't happened. It's what led to such inconsistency for the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's get to one more because then we got to get to Jeremy Rutherford on the other side. Evan left us a mic drop. My thoughts on if this season's a one-off for the Cardinals is no. We have an aging core. We have a horrible starting rotation. And we have really no arms even close that were considered ace material, and that's what we need. We need a one, two, and three. We have a bunch of fours and fives, and people don't belong in the MLB. And we're going to need a massive overhaul. Man, Evan is just fired up. Uh, I'll push back on the... You don't have a one, two, or three. Miles Michaelis at best can be a two, but you, if you're going to contend, it needs to be a three for your spot. But that's it. And I mean, your pitching does need an overhaul. Your bullpen needs an overhaul. So yeah, I mean, the hard part to decipher is the one-off because this is the first time it's happened in like 50 years. So it's hard to say like, oh, well, this has been a trend. But what has been a trend is the Cardinals not willing to fix their issues. And that's what they have to do this offseason. Otherwise, it's like we mentioned, you're just going to be doing the same cycle of insanity uh, throughout the next couple of years until your minor leagues start to come up to the majors. Tanner Hendrickson, Grand Francis, and Alex Ferrari. Appreciate all the mic drops. If you want to keep setting them, we'll get to more maybe later on in the show. But coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider for The Athletic on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I haven't talked to Jeremy Rutherford since we were out in Nashville during the draft. And since then, he's returned. He had 4th of July. He had prospect camp. This man has been running around like a madman since. And now he finally gets his downtime. JR, of course, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, our Blues Insider, joining us on BKN Ferraria. How are you, JR? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, I got that text uh, in Nashville from you and Tanner that said, come on out, we're at such and such bar and uh, you're, you guys are too young for me i can't hang like that anymore and so uh, i text you i don't think i'm gonna make it tonight you're giving me the gears jr you were my role model though i wanted to do exactly <laughs> yeah. what you did but tanner just kept complaining the whole time man we gotta go out it's nashville yeah jr we were in a rush to get to nashville just so he could go to bed yeah yeah JR, well, I, guess, when I went to bed at 11 o'clock it was glorious 
<laughs> 20 years of covering the blues and making those trips to Nashville. I think I've had my run. So <laughs> You have PTSD when you see Broadway in Nashville, right. probably for the amount of time you've been down there with the blues. Well, JR, since Nashville, we've seen prospect camp, and now we've seen really the end of free agency, although they're still available, just not as many top names available. Let's start with prospect camp. Who stuck out to you watching those four days out at Centene? Yeah, there were a couple of them, and I think you, you focus on the guys who were just drafted a couple of days uh, before, and what a whirlwind that must be for those guys to get drafted, like a Dalibor Dvorsky, number 10 overall, and then just you know, 24, 48 hours be on, be on the ice in uh, St. Louis. I thought he looked phenomenal. Look, I don't want to you know, make some crazy statement. I don't want to set the bar too high. Like I think it has a, yeah, exactly. I, I think it has a little bit to do with I haven't watched a top 10 forward prospect at one of the Blues development camps. I mean, you can go back to 2010. You got Tarasenko and and uh, Jaden Schwartz. I don't know that they had the prospect camp then. And then you had the lockout when those guys actually showed up. So I think you had a situation where we didn't get to see those guys like we did uh, Dvorsky. And he looked phenomenal. I mean, forget about the goals. Forget about the spinorama, backhander, top shelf goal. I mean, look at the back check. Look at the way he possessed the puck. Look at the way he protected it. So many little things. He, he was terrific. And then I think you look at the third-round pick, Pekarsik, uh, Yuri Pekarsik. I think he looked phenomenal. So a steal as a third-round pick. So, you know, I've covered so many drafts, and I've watched these guys come in, and maybe 20% of them play in the league and, and, and make an impact. Uh, so you don't want to get too high this early. But I think just those two names right there, those guys look great. JR, speaking of prospects, the Blues have a bunch of forward prospects, Bolduc, Snuggerud, and he just mentioned Dvorsky. How how big would it be for the Blues if they can hit on one or two of these guys and have a cost control player that could be a contributor to the NHL? Maybe not this year, but like say next year or down the road, and have these guys be mass contributors on cost control deals. Yeah, it's going to be helpful in two ways. First of all, with the salary cap, uh, you know things always are going to be tight, but the cap is going to go up. It could jump up as much as four or five million next year, so you're going to have a little more flexibility. And if you add to that that you've got some of these cost-controlled guys coming in. Look, if they don't come in until next year or the year after and they got three years on their entry-level deal, the Blues are going to be in a good position with those guys. Tanner, the other aspect to look at with that is that if a lot of those guys hit, and right now I don't feel a reason to say that a Snuggerud's not going to hit, a Bolduc might not hit, a Dvorsky might not hit. I think they got a good chance of these guys being good players in the league. At that point, you're going to get to three, four, five guys who can play in the league, and you're not going to have room for all of them. So you're going to be able to move them whether you need help on defense or or goaltending. So I think what the Blues have stockpiled here, uh, what they've done with the work trading the the players like O'Reilly and Tarasenko for first-round picks and bringing these guys in is just going to help them immensely in those two areas. Well, Jr., you mentioned defense, and that gets me to – the Blues defense at the NHL level. Blues unable to upgrade it in the offseason, and there still is the offseason to go. Maybe Army's got something up his sleeve. But if they decide to run it back with this defense, how confident are you in them having a bounce back with their blue line? I don't think you can respond to that question and say, I'm confident. I don't think that you can. Personally, I think that you look at four of them. Falk played better towards the second half of the season. You know, I always expect him to be pretty consistent. You know, could Pareko, Nick Letty, Tori Krug play better? I think they all can. Will they all play well enough to make that top four? The group that we saw a couple of years ago when they played the likes of Minnesota and, and Colorado in the playoffs, you know, you can't sit here and say that 
in July. You just can't do it. So we're going to have to wait until training camp and into the season. You know, could Doug Armstrong still make some sort of move prior to the season starting? Yeah, that's always possible too. So, so to me, you go into next season with, uh, you know, a little bit of hope, hoping that those guys can be better. And you, if you get some consistency out of the forwards and Jordan Biddington plays better, you know, maybe it works. But we talked to Doug Armstrong about this over the offseason, and he said, look, if it doesn't work, you know, we're not continuing down that road. I don't think this is going to be a situation where you're going to see these same three or four guys for two or three more years, even though their contracts say so. This is it. The pressure is going to be on them to perform better. And if they don't, we've seen in the past – Doug Armstrong has no problem making big moves. On that point, and we're talking with Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for The Athletic, I I mentioned this last week, JR, that there is a scenario that if Krug or Letty struggle at any point this season, those guys could be healthy scratches. Because if you're carrying eight one-way contracts and then throw in the Cali Rosens and three of those guys are left-handed defensemen, there's a scenario that a Krug and or Letty could be sitting in the press box at some point this season. Yeah, certainly so, especially when you got the eight one-way contracts and a Cali Rosen with a two-way, he can be sent down. I mean, you don't wish this on any player. You want these guys to be able to bounce back and play that the way that uh, you know they're capable of playing. But you can see one of these guys playing in the third pair, being a seventh defenseman, you know, being a healthy stretch, or a Scott Prinovich takes over the power play if Tory Krug isn't up to snuff. Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby are going to make those types of decisions. You know, the one thing is with the term left on these contracts, it's a little bit difficult because what do you do with the asset, you know, quote unquote asset like a Tory Kruger or Nick Letty or Colton Preco, you know, if they're sitting there at a healthy scratch with four five, six years left in the deal, you know, you're not going to be able to deal those guys unless you're just giving them away. So it's a balance for the organization to be able to put these guys in the situation to succeed, hope that they do. And if they don't cross that bridge, make those tough decisions. But at the same time, they got a you know situation on their hands where you know if they do have to move them, you don't want to be in a spot where you're moving first round picks to juice it up and get teams to take these guys. Jr. You also mentioned that you know if there are any moves, we'll be closer to training camp. The one thing you know about Doug Armstrong is he always seems to bring in guys on tryout basis. Could Oscar Sundquist fall into that conversation or maybe somebody else? Because I know you talked about it in the athletic piece of their fourth line just does not have the depth that it typically does. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that uh, Oscar Sundquist is a name that's been brought up a, a few times. I honestly thought there could be a chance. You know, Doug Armstrong, especially during this retool, he doesn't want a situation where, you know, he's going to block guys. So you got like an Alexandrov coming up. You got some other players coming up who they need to get that ice time, so you're blocking them if you bring Sonny in, you know, possibly. But that doesn't mean you can't bring him in for a, a tryout, a PTO, like you said. I haven't heard any names yet, um, you know, maybe a little bit early for, for that in terms of guys committing to come to uh, the city to, to try out for the team. We'll find out in the next few weeks to a month. But, you know, if you look at Sonny and his history with Doug Armstrong, you know, I do think that uh, there's a possibility there. I don't know, I don't don't think, that they have a lot of interest in bringing them in and, and making them a focal point of that fourth line or anything like that. But, you know, tryout to tryout. We've seen other guys come in and improve themselves in the past. So we'll keep an eye on that one. JR, you stay tuned because I got a Ferrari 05 coming up in the next hour. And I hit on Martin Furk last, last year. So I got another <laughs> one for you coming up in the one o'clock hour, my man. Yeah, you got a better feel for the PTOs than I do on, on what's going to happen. Here. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a T-shirt for whoever I uh, pick as the Ferrari 05 member. JR, always appreciate <laughs> your time, man. Uh, enjoy the uh, short time off that you'll have with the family. Of course, people keep it locked to your Twitter account at JP Rutherford and uh, subscribe to The Athletic to get all your Blues news. But uh, we'll talk to you as we get closer to training camp, my man.
Yeah, for sure. And happy uh, birthday to Al McKinnis turns 60 today. I text him happy birthday. He said, don't feel a day over uh, 60 years old. So yeah, we can use him on the, uh, deal, the, on the blue yeah, line. I was going to say, he, 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 could, he could play for uh, the Blues right now, right? He, he definitely could. Yeah, he's a great man. Hope he has a great birthday. St. Louis is so blessed to have these superstar players and people. Al McKinnis, one of the best. Happy birthday. Absolutely. Love me some Al McKinnis. JR, I appreciate the time, buddy. He's Jeremy Rutherford yep. of The Athletic. Again, make, follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. And, of course, you could check him out, all of his workout on The Athletic. I do get that Ferrario 5 coming up in the 1 o'clock hour because I do think that there will be multiple guys on a PTO. Oh, and I got some names. But don't worry, we'll get to that in a bit. We've got the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Taylor Hendricks and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. As we enter today's junk drawer, let's hand it over to T-Bone. All right, guys. Alex, you're a big music guy, right? Yeah. Grant, big music yeah, guy? I'm into music, yeah. All right. Good music. How would you guys like to do a, I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this, a underwater music festival? That could be really fun. Yeah. I'm thinking like Nemo Egg. You know what I'm talking about? Like mm. the the theme song from Finding Nemo. There's a theme song to Finding Nemo. Do you not know what I'm talking about? No. Only I, like seaworthy song I know is. How is there a the theme sea? song to Finding second. Nemo? Give me one second. Okay, you find it. So give me more information. I already don't like music festivals, but I don't so, like going underwater either. So this is a it, hundreds of divers and snorkeler, snorkelers. Tough word to say. Uh, <laughs> they go underwater to this concert that's in the Florida Keys as it's to advocate for the coral reef protection. Uh, so they do this, and it's basically all this is there's a speaker that's underneath the water, and they just have uh, they stream music onto that speaker, and they play like underwater themed songs, and they it's people get to go down and do snorkeling, and it's like a little concert while you're down there. Okay. I'm in. You said concert. I thought there was like a band performing. No, no. So essentially, this is just an underwater Bluetooth in the water that I can swim around and listen to music. Yeah, I'm in. No, this is stupid. What? How much do you got to pay to do this? I guarantee this is like thousands no, of dollars. Well, I don't know how much it is to like get the snorkeling. Yeah, you got to get but... like access to the area, don't you? Or you just go. I think you could just go. I, I'm sure you got to like probably rent the equipment, but I'll, I wouldn't think I'll that would be I'll go find my local swimming pool. I'll put goggles on yeah. and this I'll is, put a Bluetooth is, speaker next to it. This is, as some would say, under the sea. So I, you really like <laughs> that, that one. one was yeah. good. High that five. was that so was good. much better than your last one. <laughs> Yesterday was awful. That one was good. Okay, hold on. So I'm going to, I'm going to play this. Imagine being under the water and just Can having this, this in your earbuds. Okay. All right. I'm going to lower, lower, lower this down real quick. This is the theme song of Finding Nemo. I've never heard this. This does sound no. kind of relaxing, though. You know, I've had this sounds like elevator music. I'm so ashamed. See, I was picking up a little bit of like. Look, I've uh, watched Finding Express. Nemo. Like when you, I, you wish don't, no, I feel like you know what I'm. Li- 
I feel is like what's Polish coming up song? next is a Sarah McLaughlin commercial with all of the dogs that need to be adopted. This is so beautiful, uh, though. Like, I... you're under the sea. Like, imagine all the fish. No, I feel like, like I'm locked in an elevator life. right now, and a person just came on and said, uh, excuse me, sir, your elevator is stuck. We'll get the emergency responders to I'm you shortly. No, I, I can see. I'm actually. I, you guys I, are like excited about this. There's nothing. To, why would I want to go purchase snorkeling gear to go underwater to listen you don't to music? Purchase rented. Don't, don't want to do that. That sounds why fun. Like, why, what One, is, I'm in Florida. Two, I get to go snorkeling, which I've never done before. And three, there's music while I'm doing it. I'm in. <laughs> I don't understand. Like I could do this anywhere. That, what, you like do it in your bathtub? Yeah. Not the same. It's called put a Bluetooth next to it, and then you just sink down in the bathtub underwater. And then I could turn Grant's Finding Nemo yeah, hey, theme song Play on. that in the bathtub and then get back to me on your experience. <laughs> See if it's really relaxing. Or just in like a swimming pool. I don't know. I'll, I'd rather put uh, Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. That'll be better. I'm, I'm totally in on this. I would do this. This sounds fun. No, this I sounds... may be taking vacation around July 8th of next year because I missed my opportunity this year. Someone... So I can go down to Florida and go snorkeling and listen to some music where they play classics like Under the Sea, little Jimmy Buffett. Someone said it's beautiful. Ferrari was off here. Thank you, 618. Thank you, 618. He's just an old grouch, it's 618. Just, it just sound, I, first of all, I had no idea that that... I didn't even know Finding Nemo had a theme song. That's the part that baffles me more than anything, that Grant recognized that as the Finding Nemo theme song. I don't know how you've now, never yeah, now heard that. Now he it, I think I actually have heard the theme song to Finding Nemo, but like, it's not one that I will, I've remembered. I guess I'm just robotically obviously. trained to turn on Finding Nemo and block it out Listen, when my daughter watches it. And I'm the person that doesn't know movies. That's true. Like, and I know that. So you know, you know what we need to do this week because it's a down week. We should have a movie theme song trivia. Oh, you're giving me homework now? Yeah, because like we should totally come up with like movie theme songs and see who can guess them. Because I guarantee mm. I could guess more of them than all of you. I would lose. Yeah, it'd I be know. a blowout. Tanner would lose also. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Watch some more movies, guys. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis. They'd like to go to an underwater concert or just put a Bluetooth in water. I'm Alex Ferrario, a little bit more of a realist. But let's switch back to a little baseball conversation because Nolan Arenado said something yesterday that he believes has impacted the Cardinals and why they're struggling this season. Do you buy that? We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. I think a little bit, yeah, for sure. I think definitely uh, the no shift has been a little bit different this year um, compared to years past, for sure. Uh, I feel like we were really good at the shift <laughs> and uh, not having it now. I think it's hurt us in some ways, but, you know, we're not the only team. So shift. He said shift just in case your ears were trying to fool you. That was Nolan Arenado yesterday when he was asked if he felt like the shift for defense has affected the Cardinals this season. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrari. Of course, once you hit the all-star break, you're able to kind of break down that unofficial first half of the season with a little bit of breathing room. And look, we all in Cardinals nation are trying to decipher what has taken place this season. And you possibly could use the argument that has the rule changes impacted this team. Maybe not the shift, but maybe the new pitch clock to where you have to kind of speed things up, maybe impacted the pitching staff. But let's go back into our time capsule and ask president of baseball operations, if you don't mind, T-Bone, John Moselock, if he believed that the new rule changes were going to impact his ball club. You know, I don't think they're going to affect us all that much. Huh. Well, 
Huh. Just missed on that one, Just didn't we? Just missed there. But in all seriousness, I'm not going to blame the lack of shifting for hurting the Cardinals' defense this season because the shift had nothing to do with the amount of bobbled balls we have seen at second base, at third base, at shortstop, especially with the bad outfield. But there is a difference between how they performed defensively last season and this season. So if you want to go down that path, maybe you could see a slight scenario as the change in how you use your defense is taking a little bit more time to get acclimated to. Yeah, see, I actually think that the shift has really impacted this ball club, and I I think that's why that comment that we just played when Mo said that on opening day, I heard that and I went, what? (laughs) Because you're a pitch-to-contact staff, and with, with the shift, look, hitters are pulling the ball more than ever before. So, like, you're going to be able to kind of tip your hand and kind of help shift that defense to your advantage. So I could see where if you have a pitch-to-contact staff, you could look at it and go, okay, with the shift, we should be pretty good here. We can really position guys where we want to. Well, now that the shift is banned, you can do it still, but there's definitely more holes to get the ball through the infield. And that's why I th- I'm not saying, like, this is the sole reason the pitching staff has struggled this year. That's more on the pitching staff. But I do think they have been hurt a little bit by the ban of the shift and the St. Louis Cardinals' inability now to hide Nolan Gorman at second base, for example. I think he's been better there at second base, but you can't hide him like you were able to last year in the shift. That was why we had conversations all offseason long of, is Nolan Gorman going to be able to play second base if he can't improve his defense? And again, he has improved his defense. I think he's looked better, but he definitely doesn't have the range of a Tommy Edmond who can play second base for you. So I do think the shift has hurt the pitching staff and has hurt them in a in a pretty significant way. Again, I'm not saying it's the, the main reason why they are struggling this year in pitching, but I do think it has hurt them. They are built to pitch to contact, and now it is a lot harder for them to really position the infielders where they need to be, and they can't put three guys on one side of the infield to help get out. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, for because I was curious where they ranked in terms of home runs giving up as a pitching staff. They're the bottom of Major League Baseball. They've only given up 87 home runs this season, so that's the impressive part. Like, the pitch to contact, they're not getting killed by power, but as much as I can say that the shift has impacted them because they're a pitch-to-contact type of team, I think it's also the type of players that you're utilizing on the defensive side. I mean, we've seen a lot of bad routes in the outfield and misplays in the outfield. Like, the shift's not impacting you there. When I hear the banning of the shift has impacted a team, I think that teams are just placing the ball in the right spot where Cardinals players aren't. And it doesn't seem to be that way with this Cardinals team. It seems when teams are capitalizing on the Cardinals pitching staff, it's because they're getting misplayed errors in the field. Whether you saw like what Nolan Gorman did at third base against the White Sox or the issues that Jordan Walker has had in the outfield, those seem to be the reason that it's biting this Cardinals team rather than saying, oh, well, you just got guys that aren't able to shift on the right side of second base and beat some of these players. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. I, I just look, I, I look at it, and I think the outfield, you're right. I think that is on kind of personnel. But I, I think defensively, they've got a pretty good infield in terms of their defense. And though they have had some miscues on the infield, like Nolan Arnado has not been as good defensively this year. Gorman had a tough weekend against the Chicago White Sox. For the most part, I think the pieces that are on the infield, one, they should be better. But 
Two, even if they were playing a gold glove caliber defense, like if Arnado was a gold glover and he could still win a gold glove, goalie plays gold glove defense, DeYoung plays at that level, and if you had Edmund or Gorman, whoever you want to at second base, just play average defense, there's still going to be a lot of balls they can't get to now because the shift was banned. So I, I do think it has played a decent chunk into the blame, if you want to put a, like a blame game on this. I think there's a pie chart back, I, aren't you, T-Bone? Yeah, so here's the pie chart, and I would say about <laughs> 10%. I'm not even going to say a number percentage-wise, but I do think a chunk of it is it's kind of easy to look at and say, okay, I do think this really impacted the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, with that being said, I do think the ban of the shift has also helped some of the Cardinals hitters. Yeah. I think it has really helped. And this is a hot take, by the way. I think it has really helped Jordan Walker. I mean, I'm looking at his hit chart right now, and not only does he pull the ball, which you expect on a power-hitting right-hander like he's going to develop to be, he puts the ball on the ground a ton. And if you could have a third defender on that side, on the left side where he's been hitting the baseball, I think Jordan Walker would potentially struggle this season in his rookie year. But because the band of the shift, a little harder to place those guys in the perfect spot because he hits the ball 104 miles an hour, and it allows him to get more base hits. And that's not a shot against Jordan Walker. I just think he has been one of those guys that you can look to and say, I think he really benefits from the band of the shift. It's funny. We're talking about this. Um, our uh, our good buddy, uh, Evan Drellich, we remember him from the uh, lockout season. Uh, so I guess they're having kind of the state of the union with Major League Baseball right now. And he just tweeted out a picture of what the Major League Baseball handed out to everybody in attendance and batting average on balls in play uh, has increased seven points from last season. Notably, lefties have seen uh, their batting average on balls in play uh, pulled on ground balls and pulled line drives increased by 40 points and 33 points. So you are seeing it there. The other thing that they put out there is that stolen base attempts have increased to 1.8 per game in 2023. It's the highest since 2012. And if we can take you back in the time capsule once again to February, this was our good buddy Jason Stark of The Athletic when we asked him what he thought rule, what rule change he thought would impact this Cardinals team. I think it's going to be the change in the running game rule. We're going to see a, a massive jump in stolen base attempts, probably back to the, you know, the running Redbirds, Whitey Herzog era. So where is the running Redbirds era? Because this Cardinals team is ranked 29th current, or I'm sorry, 29th, 19th uh, in Major League Baseball. Is that true? It's not true. No, I apologize, Mo. It's not true. 19th with 56 stolen bases. Is that right? That is right. I am looking at the statistics according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com. We go with the advanced statistics here on BK and Ferrario. Maybe we were blindsided by the bigger bases and the ability to start stealing more. This Cardinals team has not been that. And maybe they have tried it more than they typically do, but they're getting thrown out a lot. And you've got guys that are trying to steal bases that typically don't steal bases, like Paul DeYoung, like Wilson Contreras. Really, the issue with the running Redbirds for the Cardinals, to answer my own question, is the guys that are supposed to be stealing bases, either aren't getting on base or aren't playing because they're injured. Yeah, I, I think it is kind of twofold. I think one is personnel, because I, I think part of it, too, is like Tyler O'Neill, a guy that could steal 20 bases, has been out for a big chunk of the season and was struggling when he was healthy. Tommy Edmond is now on the IL, so he's not being able to steal bases. Dylan Carlson, a guy that I think has some decent speed, to your point, struggled not getting on base a lot. But I, I think the other 
major contributor to this, and Ali Marmol said this at one point in the season, I think it was like the first month, he said something along the lines of, you know, we don't want to run when we're down. And, well, as we know, the Cardinals have been down a lot because you don't want to waste an out by getting caught stealing at second base. So I think those are kind of the two factors into this and why the running Redbirds haven't appeared for St. Louis this season because I did think they'd be more aggressive on the base paths, and they just haven't been. I, I think they're going to try and – I don't want to say they're going to try and focus on it and like make a significant change to add to their – base running abilities in the offseason. I just think when you get more personnel, you've got guys like Victor Scott coming up through the system who's a, a base stealer. Tommy Edmond will be a base stealer when he starts getting on base, and he's really struggled lately. I, I just think right now it's just not the personnel. I, I think they'll get back to being aggressive on the base pass. I don't think this is like a Ollie Marmol thing where he's like, oh, we can't be stealing bases because the numbers say it, it's not there. No, the numbers support it. They just don't have the – they don't have the – personnel right now to be able to do that yeah well and when it comes to the percentage of bases taken for this team 38 percent it's also because they just uh, they've they've taken a lot of chances it just hasn't worked out for them I think that running Redbirds will show up once you get a little bit more youth and speed like you mentioned into your lineup I think Mason Wynn's going to benefit that I think whomever they decide is their center fielder if it is more of Tommy Edmund or if they give this Victor Scott kid a chance in the coming years that is going to lean more on that side of the running Redbirds thing rather than where we're at right now. But again, this is the first year of it. You're kind of getting acclimated into it a little bit more, and you wonder how much that changes over time when teams get used to it a little bit more. Yeah, and like Lars Newbar, a guy that I think we can agree, he's got decent speed. You'd expect him to have more than five stolen bases. Absolutely. And, and he's a guy that's sitting there lower. I think Walker's going to be a guy that could steal more bases. I think right now he's just kind of caught in between when to go. I mean, he's stolen three bases, been caught four times. Like, I think the numbers are going to take a uptick for the Cardinals once they kind of get more, I don't know if it's confidence or if it is what Ollie had said early on in the year where they're just behind where they can't risk having a guy thrown out on the base paths because they've got to try and come back from what the pitching staff has put a hole, where the pitching staff has put them in a hole. Scram Francis. Tanner Hendricks and him, Alex Ferrario. We'll play in or out. You send us your scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out next. You send them to our cover service text line, 314-399-9646. We'll get to that on the other side of BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six. That is our Air Comfort Service text line alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are live on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Just click on that BK and Ferrario link. And there's also a chat that you can send us your scenarios for in or out. You give us one. We'll tell you if we are in or if we are out. Let's start with this one, boys. In or out. Following the August 1st trade deadline, the Cardinals will have three players that are slated to be in their rotation for 2024. So Michaelis would be one. Matt's would be two. If Matt's performs up to August 1st. Well, that's fair. Um, I'm going to say, I'll say I'm in on this. I think they're going to be aggressive at the deadline. And when I say that, I mean both aggressive in terms of 
you get a cardinal and you get a cardinal and then they'll go all right now you can get a cardinal but we want that pitcher back that's got control uh so i i think i'm in on this i i think by the time we wrap up the deadline and i don't even know like what day of the week it is so maybe it I hope we're on air. It's funny you ask that, Tanner, because I'll tell you right now what day of the week it is. But go on, finish your conversation. I think I think by the time we're done getting off the air from the deadline, I, I think the Cardinals will have three guys that they at least are planning on having in the rotation for 2024. Two of those three are already on the roster, and Michaelis and Matts. And then I think they're going to get one at the deadline. It's actually three weeks from today. It's on a Tuesday. Nice. Look at that. So. Grant? Yeah, I'm with you. I think I don't think they want to go into the offseason with three players in their rotation that they need to grab. I think they're going to go out and get at least one at the deadline. Now, are they going to be quality? That's a different question, but I do think they are going to get somebody and plan to have them on their roster for next season. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm in on this one as well. Um, I don't think it's going to be the ace that everybody is thinking it could be, but I think it's going to be somebody that slots in between the three and five range. Uh, not a part of this, but somebody asked the question earlier uh, on questions and answers. Who would you want if you had the pick from the Seattle Mariners group? I-, I want that Logan Gilbert kid. Yeah, That's the guy that I think makes the most sense. He's a righty. He's big and he's got swing and miss stuff. But I mean, he has been really good and he's been providing Seattle innings this season. So if I had my pick of the crop, that would be the one that I would like to target. T-Bone, what do you got for in or out? In or out, Rob Manford and Tony Clark, who is head of the MLBPA, they're talking to the media right now. And Tony Clark said that the players want to see an increase in the pitch clock in the postseason. In or out, they should do that when they get to October. Out. Can't change the rules in the postseason. You can't be like, okay, guys, it's been 20 seconds for the regular season. Now we're going to give you 23 seconds. That's... That's not an adva- or that is an advantage that could have changed things. If you're going to implement a new rule, you need to do it in the off season so that it plays into the next season. Like you can't just throw that into the conversation once the postseason picks up. Despite what the players want, I would side with Rob Manfred on that one and say, "Hey, this is what we agreed upon. It's going to play through the regular season and postseason. And if it's this much of a problem, if it impacts the postseason as much as you think it's going to." Then we reset the table and we add a couple of seconds to it for next year. Yeah, I side with you. I'm out. And here were Manfred's comments on this quote. In terms of doing something in the postseason, making an alteration, we're going to continue to talk to the players. So it sounds like MLB is at least open to it in those high leverage moments. But I I would side with you. I'm out on this. I I think you play by the same rules as you do in the regular season. I I don't think you need to adjust. If you're going to adjust the pitch clock, I get it. That's fine because we've heard some players say it's just a little too quick. I get it. Bump it back maybe at two seconds, three seconds at most. But you don't just do that in the postseason. You do that for both the regular season and postseason. People are texting in and saying, oh, you changed the rules in hockey in the postseason. Yeah, to overtime where you have to play until there's a winner. Could you imagine and baseball what baseball it... does that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> they changed the extra innings rule in postseason baseball. Imagine so, you lost the Stanley Cup Game 7 on a for shootout. For a shootout. Like, are you bleeping kidding me? Oh. So, yeah, those rules have to change in the postseason. All right, so for mine, I'm going to go in or out. Joel Hofer plays over 35 games next season for reference Thomas Grice played 21 games last season Joel Hofer played six 35 over 35 games man um if I'm not mistaken they don't have that many back-to-backs this season I only skimmed the schedule a couple of times I'm gonna say I'm out 
because I think the sweet spot for him is going to be somewhere between 30 and 35. I would lean more towards the 30 just because despite what we believe, the Blues did see Jordan Biddington play close to 60 games last season, over 60 games, and he performed well, and it didn't seem fatigue got the best of him. So they might run that back again. And if you're Hofer, you're not going to put a heavy workload on a guy who's just getting a taste of the NHL. If I'm not mistaken, Billy Huso's first season as the main backup, what did he play that year? Was it 25, 26? So in his last season with the Blues, Billy oh. Huso played 40 games. Oh, was but that in his, his first season with the Blues, he was 17. Yeah, so the first season of a guy like that, that's why they brought in a Malcolm Subban to where like, if Hofer needs a little bit of time off, if you get injuries, you get a veteran who could come up and play. So I'm going to say out. Yeah, I think I'm going to go out as well. I think 30 seems like the right spot for Hofer. And even then, that may be too high for what Alex said of you don't really want to push him too much with it being his first year serving as the backup and and honestly you really don't want as much as we talked about in in our Bennington segment in the 12 o'clock hour about how you maybe this is the route of the NHL moving forward is kind of that 50-50 split or more of a 60-40 split with your goaltending tandem I don't know if the Blues want to have that right now with Hofer being a rookie and Jordan Bennington being the guy that's on the long-term deal. So I'm out on this. Yeah, I think I'd go out on this too. I think I'd hover around that 30 range too, but I was thinking 35 just because of the conversation we were having earlier about reserving your goaltender a little bit throughout the season. But yeah, maybe that's more something that Vill- or, uh, Billy Huso, I did the same thing you did earlier, Tanner. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> Rub it's it off okay on me. if you miss him. I mean, it's fine to admit <laughs> oh, no, it. I'm, I'm, happy. I'm, to I'm looking forward to Joel Hofer now, but I think maybe in the second season of Joel Hofer, he might might reach that benchmark they in his career. 10 back-to-backs next season. So you know that Hofer's playing at least 10 of the games. I wonder how many Jared Bednar has. I'm sure he'll complain should, about it. Yeah, he'll complain about it either way. They always do. Uh, from the 636 for in or out, you send us your scenarios, 314-399-9646. In or out, the Cardinals would be in a worse position if they acquired Juan Soto last season. I like this one. I'm trying to think what you... It's not so much about... Juan Soto being on the team as it is what was given up. Yeah, I think that's what they're saying. Um, Because you probably don't have Gorman or Walker on this team. uh, You you may have Walker if you could convince them of like taking a win and then probably giving up a little bit more. I'll say this is tough. This is an interesting one. I'll say I'm out. I, I I just think the pitching, there was too much with the pitching as being issues in Juan Soto. I mean, you want to talk about bad outfield defense. That dude's bad in the outfield, too. So um, I, I'm going to say out. They Offensively, they would probably be what they are right now. But the pitching just it does nothing for the pitching. Juan Soto can't pitch. So I, I'm out. I, I think they would still be where they are. I think this was kind of destined to happen. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it out of this one, too, because I think if you have Juan Soto, you still have that threat in your lineup. The way I look at it, though, is you look at the butterfly effect. Let's say that they are not trading away Jordan Walker, but they gave up the Nolan Gormans, the Mason Wins, and more guys in the minor leagues. Your minor leagues looks bad. Maybe you also don't have Wilson Contreras. You might have to go with another option as your catcher, but you can't deny a Juan Soto batting next to... Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and especially if you're able to keep Jordan Walker. And I don't think we're complaining as much about the outfield problems as we are this season. So I'm going to say I'm out on this one uh, as well. From the 636, in or out, the Blues trade one of the top four defensemen before this year's trade deadline. I'm going to go with out because if you can't get it done 
now. And look, maybe they still are trying to move somebody, and we just haven't heard any buzz about it. If you can't move somebody before the season starts, it's going to get five times harder once you get in season because everybody's going to be tighter up against the cap. Everybody kind of has their roster set. And when you look at those in-season deals, it's hard to move a lot of money. And most of those guys, maybe Letty would be the guy that gets moved. He probably wouldn't be as hard. But I I can't see it happening. I I just, that feels really difficult to do in-season. I think it's something that you got to do in the off-season when everybody's kind of got their books open. They're more more willing to take on money in the off-season than they are in-season. Yeah, if I had to put money on it, it feels like Doug Armstrong kind of made his move and it didn't work out for him with Tory Krug using his no trade clause. And after that, he's just so strapped right now. It's going to be hard to move one of those four defensemen. So, and again, I don't think they would be even interested in trading Pareko so or Falk. So you've really you're talking about Krug or Letty, and I really don't think they'll be able to move one of those guys. So if I had to put money on it, I'd say I'm out on that. I'm actually in on this one. Because I think the Blues I think the Blues are going to get more playing time for Scott Perunovic and Tyler Tucker. And I wonder if they get to that trade deadline and look at this and say, we need to commit to one of these guys as a staple and see if there's something out there for one of these guys in terms of a contender wants that. Or maybe they're able to ship a piece out to open up some salary and trade a pick with it. It really depends on where they're at. But I look more at if Scott Perunovic or Tyler Tucker are performing really well then you're going to get some more playing time for them. And to JR's point, I'm not sure if you're going to be sitting guys as a healthy scratch. So if those guys are performing well, you might try to strike while the iron's hot with that. So uh, that one will be interesting, though, as you approach that trade deadline. Appreciate everybody's scenarios for us on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Let's stick with the Blues because there still is one player that is unsigned, and he's headed down a path that has not worked out for former Blues in the past. How much of an issue is that? And I teased it. I've got my Ferrari 05. I'll come in next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Panarin in the middle. Drags it, and then it's broken up. Torovchenko, can he get ahead? Trocek trying to check him. Torovchenko, he scores! What a play! What a play and a goal by Torovchenko! Everybody loves themselves some Alexei Torovchenko, the 24-year-old forward who is a fourth-liner but plays like he's a top-nine forward, and I think people fell in love with him more when he called out the hockey team midway through the season last year. So why are we bringing him up? Because Alexei Toropchenko is headed down a path that, frankly, a lot of hockey players go down in terms of filing for arbitration when it comes to an RFA status. Frankly, that's how it goes. If you can't get a deal done, get the money you feel you're worth, you go to arbitration. But you could still negotiate between filing for arbitration and the arbitration hearing. But the reason we're bringing this up is because Toropchenko is the only unsigned player by St. Louis. And if we know how... Players that go into arbitration and actually get to the arbitration hearings, 
That doesn't go well for them beyond that hearing. I'd say I'd say Torp could ask somebody about that, but uh, they they're not have here. To call someone outside of St. Louis. I mean, if you think about it, Joel Edmondson went down this path to where he went into arbitration. They did the hearing, and look, some of this is salary cap situations where the guy's going to get more than you can afford, so you have to move on from him because that's where it goes. But, I mean, it does get into some uncomfortable status. And Jamie Rivers has talked about these arbitration hearings before in terms of you're basically speaking about why you feel you deserve this money and the team's telling you why you're not worth that money. So it gets to a sticky situation. And the reason that that's important, in my opinion, is if Alexei Torpchenko goes down this path, let's be honest, he is probably the, the highest regarded player in terms of fourth-line guys that you really want for this team. And to JR's point that we talked about earlier yesterday and today, they don't have a lot of depth once you get beyond Torepchenko's name and Sammy Blay. You've got some younger players, the Deans, the the um, Alexandrovs, but that's about it. Hopefully they get a deal done, but, but man, if they don't for an Alexei Torepchenko and it gets to that path where, yeah, maybe it's fine after he does the arbitration for one year, but then you're talking about moving on from him. It's one of those situations you don't want to get into if you're Doug Armstrong. Yeah, I, I think they'll get it done, and I think they'll get it done because Torpchenko, as you said, is the most consistent guy that plays on that fourth line for the Blues. Everybody else has more just kind of spurts, where you, like Nathan Walker, for example. There's been times where you look at Nathan Walker and you go, okay, he's been a pretty good fourth liner for the Blues. Then there's other times it's like, man, you got to replace Nathan Walker. So I, I expect they're going to get this done. I don't think Torpchenko is going to go down the route of the previous RFAs that have filed for arbitration. Because I, I think the Blues actually really like Torbchenko and the role he's able to play here on the St. Louis Blues fourth line. So I, I expect this to get done, and I expect it to get done probably rather quickly, too. Yeah, I, if I were to be a betting man, which I am, but typically it goes poorly for me, I would say that Torbchenko gets a deal done before you get to that arbitration hearing, and it's probably a one- or a two-year deal to let it play out, and then you go back into that contract situation. But again, if it doesn't, and Torepchenko has every right to go this route. I mean, he did have 10 goals last season in 69 games. That's where things start to get a little bit more intriguing. But let's go down the path that they still need help on the fourth line. Because I believe they do. I, Mackenzie McEachern is a good depth piece, but I don't see that as a everyday player on the fourth line. Nathan Walker, the exact same. Uh, Sammy Blaze probably going to be there, but he might be in a top nine situation. So let's go to the other options in terms of fourth-line players. I nailed this last year with Martin Furk, but unfortunately he didn't play for the Blues. That was another bad decision. You're right that he signed. That was another bad decision. But what I will say is there are guys that you can look at and say, make sense if you can sign them to a one-year deal worth $1 million or maybe less who can be a part of that fourth line. You're taking a risk, but maybe it capitalizes. I got a list of five for you, T-Bone. Grant! Hit that open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't pronounce number five's name on this list, but I like everything about him. Saku Mena Lennon. Menelainen, I Menelainen, think. thank you, because I I Googled so many pronunciations of it and couldn't no, find it. I'm not going to try to find him on the Google So he, pl- he played for Winnipeg last year. He played for Carolina Hurricanes a couple of years ago. He's really played over in the KHL in the Swedish League, but he's six foot four and he's a right winger, and he's 207 pounds, 
and he can score holes. But he also has a little bit of physicality into his game. Frankly, rightfully so when you're six foot four. If he doesn't get signed, which he's an unrestricted free agent, and look, you always got to worry about possibly going back to the KHL or maybe the Swedish League. This might be somebody I would take a look at in terms of a PTO if he doesn't sign elsewhere because he could come in and bring some size because if there's one thing that would make sense for a fourth line, it's a fourth line that can bang with some size. And if I got six foot six Torupchenko, six foot four Manalainen, I'm looking pretty good going into the upcoming season. Yeah, I don't mind that one. Bring in size, bring in physicality. And I also just like the motto of be on the fourth line and just bang. Bring a little bang. 113 yeah. hits last season. We'll call it the Ooh. we'll call it the bang line or the banger line. Curbs always hates my nickname. You can't hate that nickname. No. The bangers. The bangers. He hates the ones where you combine the names. Oh, I'll, though, so. I'm going to keep doing it, Grant. He can do whatever he wants. Well, this one, number four on my list of Ferrari 05, name very familiar to a lot of people, played for Craig Berube. Now, you are going on the veteran side of things, but as we talked about yesterday, you kind of want a little bit of veteran presence on your roster right now that's looking for more maturity. Wayne Simmons. The reason I bring up Wayne Simmons' name is because he played with Kevin Hayes, played under Craig Berube, played with Braden Chen, and Wayne Simmons, when he has played, and look, he didn't play a lot over the last couple of years because didn't have the right fit with Toronto, didn't go well for him. At best, you're looking at a guy who could score 10 to 12 goals in a season, but on a fourth line, this is a guy who also banks when he goes out there. And I like the idea of a veteran presence for that fourth line, and it's also somebody that is very familiar for guys like Craig Berube and Steve Ott. Thoughts on Wayne Simmons? Yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, the downturn that happened very quickly for him, and I understand what you're saying, not in the right spot, but something tells me something was there, so... I'm a little skeptical on it, but I, I'm not going to completely diss on the idea. It's interesting. I mean, the good thing is the last contract he signed, he was making $900,000 a year. That was the cap hit. So if you do go out and get a Wayne Simmons, he's a perfect PTO kind of guy for sure. And if it's a one year contract and it's under a million dollars, like what's that going to hurt? Yeah. I'm, I'm in on it. My only concern with it is, yeah, it, he's washed up and he probably doesn't have it anymore. But the upside, if he does have it, just in terms of a guy who has been there, done that, and also is familiar with certain players, I think that could be a benefit to a group of players that is still looking for that maturity that Doug Armstrong has brought up. This is another player who's been around for a little bit. He's played for Boston, most recently played for Pittsburgh, Danton Heinen. Now, that name might sound familiar because he was in the trade for Tyler Sagan a long time ago from the Dallas Stars to the Boston Bruins. But Danton Heinen is 28 years old. Doesn't really, he scored 16 to 18 goals is like his career high. But he's a two-way forward that offers a little bit of defense to his game. And as a fourth-line depth player, it's a guy who has played 413 games in the NHL, which isn't a bad thing. So this is more of a veteran presence with maybe a little bit more higher upside offensively than what Wayne Simmons provides. Yeah, I kind of like this one. This one kind of reminds me he doesn't play center. But yeah, this is a winger option. Yeah, the, I went mainly wingers because I think your center spot is taken by agreed. T- Dean and um, uh, Alexandrov. Yeah, Alexandrov. Thank you. Uh, agreed. But the, what I was going to say is he reminds me a little bit maybe of Achari is who I would kind of say. Yeah, he reminds me Honestly. kind of a little bit of him. So I, I, I like this one. Heinen is the one I like so far. Now, now Grant, you, you grimaced over there a little bit. I think I have a little bit of uh, a preconceived notion for Danton Heinen just because I have a lot of Bruins fans that um, 
I was close with in college that followed the team very closely, and they always talked about how much of a liability he was, and he was the piece that they always wanted to move on from. So that's the only reason why I'm kind of eh on Danton Heinen. Well, tell your friends they're wrong. Well, love me some And they Danton moved Heinen. on from him, and uh, <laughs> they still haven't been very good. Yeah. All right, number two on this list might surprise you. It's Oscar Sundquist. Now, the only surprising part is he's number two on this list. Wait till you hear my number one. But Sonny, of course, is on this list because there's familiarity. My only hesitancy with that is I don't think he's going to come here on a PTO. I think he's going to want a contract. And even if some once you get closer to training camp, that's when teams start to see a little bit more holes fill up. Somebody's going to be willing to give him a contract. And I just don't know if it's going to be the Blues because of what JR said in terms of clogging up playing spots for younger guys. And Sonny's more of you'd be using him more of a center spot than I think in a winger situation. But look, if it does come to a PTO, his preference is going to be St. Louis. And Sonny obviously provides everything that I just mentioned in terms of veteran offensive upside and plays the banger style. So Sonny was number two on this list. Yeah, I I think you're right on where I don't know if he's going to be able to get the contract he's looking for here in St. Louis. If it is just he's going to have to settle for a PTO, then I think he'll be here with the St. Louis Blues and get a shot to make the team out of camp. But I think there's going to be somebody that'll be willing to give him a guaranteed one-year contract. I have a very hard time believing that he's going to make it to the point where he's going to be out looking for PTOs. Mm -hmm. I really think he'll get a contract before then, and I'm with you. I'd love for it to happen, but I don't have high hopes for it to happen. You know who I think signs him? Pittsburgh. Could see that because Sidney Crosby, Joey tells the story all the time. When Sidney Crosby found out that Sonny was traded to St. Louis, Crosby was upset. And Joey's like, Crosby doesn't get upset about that kind of thing. So Sonny's one of those guys. I could see Kyle Dubas bringing back a player like that for yeah, a team. He did say on this radio station, F Pittsburgh. So, well, that's fine. You don't have to bring back that audio. Might, might be a little tough to ge- settle that. Different one. general manager, T Bone. All right. The reason Sonny's number two on this list is because I got a guy that I prefer more. Denis Gurianov. He's 26 years old. He has played most notably for the Dallas Stars. The name might sound familiar because he played with the Blue or he played with Dallas in that cup run. And then the following season in that deep playoff run by Dallas in the bubble, he had nine goals in 27 playoff games for them. The most he scored in a postseason or in a regular season was 20 goals in that year. Still a 10 to 12 goal score for Dallas. And then last year he was traded to Montreal. But this is a guy whose upside is somebody like a Toropchenko. He's six foot three, he's two hundred pounds. He's got offense. He was selected in the first round. The downside is you're talking about a fourth liner who could provide some offense. Now I don't know how physical he is. If I remember correctly, he was more of an offensive guy for the Dallas Stars. He's not very physical. But you're bringing this in. This would be an option in terms of you're utilizing a fourth line to where. You're bringing in size, but you're bringing in offensive upside. And if I do remember correctly, Gurionov is fast. So you're going to have him and Toropchenko and whomever's playing center. That's a big, fast line. That's why I liked him a bit more than Oscar Sundquist. And I will say, even though he's not very physical, he is still a big guy, 6'3", 205, so he can handle himself out there. I've always liked Dennis Gurionov. I remember watching him in the bubble in the, those, those 2020 playoffs when Dallas had a lot of success. He was a very good player for them. And if he's on your fourth line, and you have a fourth line with, you know, if Sammy Blay gets slotted down to that fourth line, let's say, all of a sudden you have a pretty dangerous scoring fourth line. Like, that's one of the better 
offensive fourth lines in the league, I would say, in terms of them scoring goals and being dangerous offensively. So I would love to see Dennis Gurionov. I, I like that pick at number one. Yeah, he's interesting. I I guess I would be looking more for size for this Blues team because I think you've got enough offensive upside in your top nine to where I want more of somebody that is going to throw the body around a little bit more if they're going to be on the fourth line now. But that being said, if he's a guy that's going to go park himself in front of the net, okay, then I'll change my tune a little bit because I still think the Blues need somebody like that. And if he can do that on the fourth line, then okay. But I, I look at him and I say, eh, I would I would prefer probably somebody that can throw the body around just a little bit more. Yeah, the only part with this individual is you're not bringing him in to just be a fourth liner. You'd be bringing him in to where you're on the fourth line, but it's an option to kind of like Sammy Blay is going to be where you're not a fourth liner, but we basically don't have a spot in the top nine. But if it comes, that's your opportunity. Yeah. So you might be plugging up a spot in this. And, but the way I looked at it is you don't have a lot of winger options. Like if you lose a Toropchenko or a Blay, do you really feel good about having a Mackenzie McEachern on a fourth line? I mean, look, I love McEachern, but he's not going to provide you any offense. And then you're just saying our fourth line needs to be defense oriented. I'd rather have a line that maybe doesn't have to be the best defensive line, but it's got offensive upside when you roll it out there. And the reason I said does he park himself in front of the net is kind of because of what you just said there was if you had to put him on the third line, would he be able to handle that role? It, again, not putting penciling him in there as he's going to be on the third line. More of, hey, we're going to put you in there in case of an emergency. Could he handle that spot? And if he's a guy that's a goal scorer, maybe he could. I think he could handle a position on the third line. He did play really a position do. on the third and fourth line with Dallas. Like that's where he was specifically in the 2018-19 season and the 19-20 season. He's also only 26 years old, so he's not I mean he he's hitting his prime, but it's not like he's in his 30s. So it's one of those players that is in that age range that Doug Armstrong likes as well. Yeah, and if you look at his ice time, I mean that that season that he scored the uh, 9 goals in 27 playoff games, he averaged 12 minutes and 59 seconds of ice time for Dallas that season. And he scored 20 goals so you're really going high upside there and if i'm not mistaken i think he played on a team in the khl with uh oh no he did not i was gonna say i thought he played on a team with alexi Toropchenko, but um that that's my number one on this ferrari 05 so again my ferrari 05 of depth pieces that could be options on the fourth line saku mainalainen wayne simmons danton heinen oscar sunquist and denis gurianov we'll hit the rewind next on bk and ferrario here on 101 espm we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Now's your opportunity to win Cardinals Bud Bash tickets. We've got your chance for a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Marlins. It features a limited edition Brad Thompson bobblehead. You text in now, 314-399-9646, and tell us what was the theme song, what movie was the theme song from that Grant brought up 
during the junk drawer segment. You tell us the movie that that theme song was fought from, and you'll win a four-pack to that Budweiser Bash tickets for Cardinals and Marlins. To get all the details on the season series of Budweiser Bash Cardinals games, you can head on over to cardinals.com slash promotions. As we close things down on our rewind today, guys, uh, the wrap-up of the poll voting of if this season is a one-off for the Cardinals, 52% voted that it was a no, not a one-off. 48% said yes. So very tight when it comes to how people are viewing it, which goes to show you how impactful August 1st is going to be and really the offseason for John Moselock. Yeah, and and that's been my whole point is I think this can be a one-off, but it comes down to what they do at the deadline and what they do in the offseason. And I'm I'm not surprised by this result at all. I I think a lot of Cardinals Nation is kind of 50-50 on what the future looks like for the Cardinals. Can they turn it around in one year? There's As we've seen, there's about 50% of people believe it's possible. Another 50% say it's not because of the state of the pitching right now. So we'll see how the deadline impacts how people view that. But th- that's where it's going to have to start for the Cardinals. they got to ace this deadline if they want to turn this around next year. More conversation coming up with the fast lane from 2 to 6 o'clock. And then we will have the MLB All-Star game starting at 6 o'clock with pregame here on 101 ESPN. Myself, Tanner Hendricks, and Grant Francis will be back with you tomorrow at 11 a.m. for PK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. SPM. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.